0: Visit geico.com today. That's geico.com. And we thank them for sponsoring today's podcast. Savewithconrad.com makes saving money fast and easy. Just ask Lindsey in Wisconsin. He left us a five-star review and said, super easy refi, probably easier than when we did this four years ago with a local credit union. Find out how easy it is right now yourself at savewithconrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. And oh yeah, you don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket. Let's save with Conrad.com. Love talking about my friend, Steven singer. You know, the competition really hates him. He makes the experience of buying a diamond better and better. And he makes it fun. Steven is the very first to offer each and every guest the perfect price. That's right. Have you ever wondered if you're getting the best price, are you uncomfortable negotiating? Head to Steven Singer Jewelers and you're guaranteed to get the perfect price. You'll never pay more than the person next to you. Here's a little insider tip. Most jewelers mark their merchandise way up just to mark it down to make you feel like you're getting a deal. The person next to you may be paying less. Do you want an important purchase like diamond jewelry to be based on your negotiating skills? Not the case at Steven Singer. Because at Steven Singer Jewelers, you're guaranteed to get the perfect price all day, every day, 365 days a year. That's why we trust Steven Singer. It makes the experience of buying a diamond so easy. Check out Steven Singer Jewelers at the other corner of 8th and Walnut in Philly or online at IHateStevenSinger.com. Steven Singer Jewelers, one place, one price. That's IHateStevenSinger.com. Hey, real quick, before we get going on today's very special episode of 83 Weeks, I want to remind you that live shows are back, not just for WWE, not just for AEW, but for our podcast network. Our very first live show is happening this Saturday night at Jimmy's Famous Seafood. That's this Saturday, June 12th, at Jimmy's Famous Seafood in Baltimore, Maryland. This Saturday night, Jeff Jarrett and I will be on stage making you laugh, telling you stories you can't hear on the podcast and oh yeah, we have a very special guest. Now I don't wanna spoil the surprise, but let me just tell you, Baltimore is gonna love him. I also wanna mention that every single ticket is VIP. You're gonna to get to meet Jeff and I. Jeff will sign whatever you've got. We've got autographed eight by tens for you. We've also got some cool koozies, a really cool lanyard, a guitar pick, and so much other really cool swag that I don't wanna spoil the surprise for. But this is going to be a great time. First of all, you're going to get the best crab cakes in the world. You already know that. Maybe you're not a seafood lover. Let me go ahead and endorse. It's the best primary of I've ever had. It's at Jimmy's Famous Seafood this coming weekend. And by the way, you can make a whole weekend out of it. Friday night, it's going to be Zach Ryder and Kurt Hawkins. or <clears throat> I'm sorry, Matt Cardona and Brian Myers. You know all about them. And how about on Sunday, it's the Good Brothers. We got Gallows and Anderson. It's going to be a tremendous time. But don't miss the main event, the main course, if you will. Jeff and Conrad live.com is where you can pick up your tickets to see the very first edition of my world live and in living color. People still talk about the first 83 weeks live show. They're still talking about the first something to wrestle live show. And this, my friends will be the very first my world podcast live edition with stories you can't hear anywhere else. Check it out at Jeff and Conrad That's Jeff and Conrad live.com. And we'll see you this Saturday at Jimmy's Famous Seafood in Baltimore. And don't forget, everybody's VIP. We'll see you there this Saturday at Jimmy's Famous Seafood at JeffAndConradLive.com. Thompson, and you're listening to 83 Weeks with Eric Bischoff. Eric, what's going on, man? How are you? I, Conrad Thompson, am
3: having the best day ever, and it's only 8.37 a.m. Sunday morning <laughs> I am just having a fantastic freaking day. Yesterday was a good day. Me and Nikki sat out on the deck last night, had a beautiful sunset, had a nice little Jamison neat next to me, hit a cigar for a minute or two and just had a great night last night. Woke up perfect day today. We get to do this. I don't know, man, what could be better?
0: You know, I, uh, I'm not sure, but I'm looking forward to a great day because we're doing something that I love so much. And that's watching old wrestling with you. We recently did a watch along of when Scott Hall came down the stairs for the very first time on Monday Nitro back in May of 1996. And today we're going to do the exact same thing for Kevin Nash. Kevin Nash is going to debut, not on Monday night, raw, but on Monday Nitro and uh, the wrestling world is going to change forever. Uh, we're just a few short weeks away from uh, Hulk Hogan turning heel for really the first time. Uh, I mean, I know early in his career, he was a heel, but Once Hulkamania started, man, there was no looking back and we're going to be celebrating the rest of this year, the 25th anniversary of the NWO. That's still just a weird sentence to say, man, because this to me feels like it was about 10 years ago. I was at the height of my wrestling fandom here in, in, in late 96, early 97. And I I don't know, man, I can't imagine from your standpoint, when you watch these old videos back, is this like, uh i don't know like old family footage or something like that
3: yes and no what's, what's you know time is a really abstract thing for me um i i look back at this and you know as you pointed out it feels like 10 years ago to you it feels like 10 minutes ago to me in some respects but at the same time this is where it gets abstract and hard for me to you know comprehend it feels like another lifetime and I think partly because so much has happened between then and now and in, in my life and everybody's life, but there are elements of it, I guess, the emotional elements of it, the excitement of it, that when I go back and look at it, it seems like it just happened yesterday. It's really interesting.
0: Well, here's what we're doing. Boys and girls fire up your WWE network on Peacock. And we want you to go to June 10th, 1996, and we're going to watch Monday night raw to get us started. It's only 49 minutes and 33 seconds, by the way, I think we all agree. Peacock is not the easiest app to navigate. We're on season four of Monday night, raw episode 23. I wish they didn't categorize it that way, but I guess with all the other TV shows they have, that makes sense. But still it's season four of Monday night, raw episode 23. Before we get going, how about all the news in, uh, WWE land lately? Have you been keeping up with this? All the, the big layoffs and, um, lots of releases, big names included. And then all of a sudden Mark Henry and, uh, Andrade showing up on AEW. there's a lot of stuff happening right now in wrestling, Eric,
3: there there is. And in many respects, it's, it's kind of exciting to see the, 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 The shuffleboard being shuffled, you know, and right in front of your eyes. And look, you and I talked about it on our weekly radio show, For the Heat, which anybody can listen to anywhere in the world at fortheheat.com. You can hear it nine o'clock Eastern on Wednesdays. And, you know, Conrad, we we spent two hours talking a lot about, you know, some of these recent changes and the speculation that's resulted from it. We had Sean Rossap, who by the way, I really dig Sean Rossap. He's a I, I really respect his work. And everybody's got a lot of different opinions about things. But the more I think about it, the more I'm convinced that WWE is not for sale. And I'm not suggesting that it'll never happen. I mean, look, nobody knows for sure. I certainly don't have a crystal ball, and I'm not, you know, privy to any inside information. But I'm more and more convinced that what WWE is doing, and I think Nick Khan probably is the catalyst for a lot of this is making good business decisions. They, they, they want to, you know, what was their stock price before COVID somewhere around 70 bucks a share, give or take, you know, drop down to the mid thirties when COVID hit. I think there was a lot of speculation, you know, from my perspective, and I'm not a stock market analyst by any stretch of the imagination, but you know, I was, Pretty convinced that without touring, you know, and that's such a big revenue stream for WWE, and not just the the you know what you make at the gate, you know, but a lot of the merchandising revenue from WWE is generated at those live events. So you can maybe break even in terms of your ticket sales, but if you're making eight, nine, ten, twelve dollars ahead on merchandise and the profit margins on that merchandise is probably 30, 40%. You're making good money. And to when, when COVID hit, you know, the idea that that, that component of the WWE business model, the live event touring and the merchandising that goes along with it was going to evaporate. Now I, I went, I wow, this is going to This is not pretty for WWE because that entire company has been set up on a business model whereby live events and merchandising was such a significant chunk of their overall revenue stream. And the stock went down and I thought, man, it's going to be really hard for this company to come back and get to where they were, where they were. But I think, you know, WWE stock today, or last time I looked at it, at least probably Thursday or Friday, is hovering around 56, $58 a share. And if I'm WWE, if I'm on the board or the chairman um, or just a shareholder, you know, somebody that invested $10,000 in WWE stock. I'm sitting here wondering what they're going to do to get that stock price back up to where it was. That should be everybody's goal. You know, I'm sure. It is everybody in the board of directors and the chairman on you know, the officers of the company all have a fiduciary responsibility to make as much money for their shareholders as they can. And I think, and again, this is just me looking from a million miles away. Um, you know, if I'm involved in some of the decisions in trying to get that stock price up, I'm looking at my talent roster, which is a significant part of, of the expenses in WWE. And I'm thinking to myself, well, wait a minute, you know, we're going to modify our tour schedule. Well, I'm not going to tour the same way we used to. And I think that's probably true. Mm-hmm. Um, I need to start making good decisions. We've got 300 people under contract. Perhaps that's too many. And maybe there was a reason for it. Maybe the emergence of the AEW a couple of years ago, you know, the, the I don't want to say the fear of the unknown, but the awareness of the unknown, not being sure what AEW was going to mean, not sure what that impact was going to be on my business. I would agree that, you know, locking up some talent, perhaps paying more for that talent than I might otherwise pay under the conditions I'm now looking at makes sense, but now we know what AEW is. Yep, that's not disparaging in any way, right? You know they're doing very, very well, and I'm, I'm proud of everybody there, or proud for them, I should say, not proud of them. But it is what it is, and I think they probably went okay. We need to shore this business model up, make some adjustments. The world is a different place in 2021 than it was in 2019. You know, I think merging some of the departments in post production, particularly given You know, the situation with Peacock and the opportunities that provided, not only opportunities in terms of revenue, but opportunities in terms of reducing expenses and just being more efficient. And I'm more convinced now than I was last week that what WWE is doing is aggressively managing their model, their business model. And I think there's been a bunch and it's exciting, man. People have stuff to talk about on their, on their websites. People like us have things to talk about on our radio show and on our podcast. You know, people that publish newsletters all have something to talk about. Everybody's energized by it. It creates more traffic. That's cool. Everybody's, you know, got something really exciting to think about or talk about. But I think when the dust settles, we're going to see WWE stock price back to where it was pre-COVID. I think we're going to see a new touring model that makes more sense in the long run, and I don't think it's—I don't think WWE's going anywhere at least not in the near future.
0: My yeah, take—I I don't think WWE's going anywhere, but I do think that they're readying for sale. I mean, I'm—I'm I'm convinced of that. Um, but and you may be right. You may be right. Also, too, I, I want to mention. I—I uh, I think me and you are on the same page the goal has got to be to pump that stock price up before you do any of this. And I don't know, like 26 months ago, the stock was like $96 a share. And, and to your point we're you know, high fifties right now. So we've still got a ways to go, but yeah, I mean, I just think on some level there's got to be an, I shouldn't say got to be, it feels like there would be an exit strategy for Vince and it's going to lead to a lot of different speculation and I, for one hope that it is someone like Disney that comes along, uh, simply because I think, you know, it would be cool if there was a, you know, an undertaker ride at a, at a theme park, uh, you know, and, and instead of having a hall of fame, you know, as a standalone thing, let's make it a, an interactive experience and let, you know, kids come down the ramp and pretend like they're John Cena or whatever.
3: And then or you know, Eric Bischoff, they can come out and pat their heart and
0: all that point to the crowd. My apologies Who would
3: not love to bring their kids to, you know, a WWE hall of fame experience and have a chance for their kids to pretend they're me.
0: You, you know, <laughs> it was, it was not cool of me to just, you know, be on the same call with you and not say your name. So my apologies for that,
3: but oh, that's okay. You know, I'm just fucking with you, man.
0: Hey, we're not kidding about this though. This is going to be fun today. Uh, Hopefully by now we've given you a time to uh, go find the network and go find as goofy as this sounds season four, episode 23 of Monday night raw. Just before we uh, get started, I want to briefly mention, uh, that the, uh, there's some real life shenanigans going on behind the scene. Did I say that? Damn it.
3: See it, it. You love it. You don't want to admit you love it. But you love the shady shenanigans thing because it's, it, it finds its way into your common everyday vernacular. And it just, it, it, it emphasizes in a way that sometimes other words may not shady shenanigans, man it
0: needs to be a t-shirt. It's terrible. And it'll never be a t-shirt, but we do have lots of other cool t-shirts over at box Anyway, I wanted to mention, uh, there's some, some news here. Um, there's a letter. Going back and forth, the WWF sent a letter to WCW, which they had already posted online, claiming that Razor Ramon and diesel are no longer employees of the WWF and that your company has attempted to portray that they were when in fact they weren't. And we know this is ultimately going to wind up in a lawsuit that I believe in the end, uh, the WWF would win. And then, you know, they, I think they won like $2 million. And then they use that $2 million to buy WCW. So Uh, Sort of fun, but
3: you always got to make it hurt, man. Sorry about that. Got to make that hurt.
0: (laughs) Here's what I know about you as, as your friend in 2021, you fucking loved when they quote unquote sold for you here. Didn't you?
4: I did because
3: it it created controversy. (laughs) It, it created, it stimulated interest in, in the competition between the two companies. And that was my goal from the get-go is was in. I wanted market share. If they had 10 viewers, I wanted five or six of them at one point. You know, when I took over WCW, if there were 10 viewers out there, WWE had nine of them. That's right. And I wanted my fair share. Listen to me. Sound like a politician. I wanted my fair share. I wanted their market share and, you know, going head to head with them. Some of the, more controversial things that I did in order to, to stimulate conversation about that, giving away finishes and, you know, having Luger show up when everybody in WWF thought that he was still under contract to them. All that kind of stuff was done to stimulate conversation and to get people to go, Hmm, I haven't really checked out that WCW thing. Cause I'm a WWE diehard WWE fan. I'm one of the nine out of the 10, but I'm going to go over and check that shit out. And yeah, once they started selling and reacting and becoming defensive, I became more offensive and it worked. It was a fun thing. We not only took market share, and this is an important thing that, you know, in, in this era, you know, when people are talking about competition and, you know, it was AEW competition for WWE, my opinion is they're not right. They're not even close. They're not even in the same universe in many, many respects. If you look at the global footprint of WWE, look at the total number of, for example, people last data point that I read a couple years ago was that there were 25 million people that were a part of the WWE digital universe, online interactions, that type of thing, network, all of the above. You can't really compare WWE to AEW. AEW has been around effectively for two years in terms of a television property or whatever it is, two years and change. WWE has been around for 30 or 40 years, whatever it's been. I don't know. Keep track of that shit. But my point is you can't really compare them. And what AEW is is doing now, in my opinion, as is MLW, Court Bauer, as is Impact, as is Ring of Honor, is they're taking advantage of, And they're drafting from the massive audience that WWE has created. So there's interest. There's enough interest in wrestling in general in large part because of the success of AEW over the decades, or excuse me, WWE over the decades that companies like AEW can come in or impact or ring of honor or MLW. I think they're going to, I think more and more, we're going to be, you know, MLW will be a part of the conversation more than it has been in a while.
0: Yeah.
3: But all these companies are, have the they're taking advantage of an audience, but they're not taking anything away from AEW or from WWE. They're just not. Now, when AEW or any other company starts taking market share, like I did, like WCW did, now you've got my attention. But until then, everybody's just showing up at the party and taking some free chips. But it's not costing WWE anything. Now, maybe you could suggest that, well, you know, one of the reasons that Braun Strowman, for example, was able to negotiate such a big contract was because Vince was afraid he was going to go to EW. Sure. We've covered that. We just talked about that a few minutes ago, but I think now we're at the point where everybody's going, okay, well, it's cool for them. It's good for the business. Everybody likes variety. It doesn't hurt anybody. And they're not taking anything away from us. So I, I'm interested to see what happens when people start actually taking market share that they're currently not taking. But that was my goal back then is they've got 10, they've got nine. I want at least six or I'll settle for five, but I won't be happy until I've got at least 50% of the market share. Time, Conrad, time to talk about my dog, Nikki. Anybody that's been listening to 83 Weeks for any amount of time knows how much I love my dog, Nikki. Nikki's a part of our family. I dare say she's a very important part of our family. And if you ever saw her hanging around with us, you'd know what I mean. Listen, because she's such a big part of our family, her health and nutrition is just as important to me as anybody else in my family. And a lot of times people forget that dogs need healthy food too. Did you know that up to 80% of the immune system in a dog is influenced by the gut or supporting the immune system through proper diet and digestive health enables pets to better fight allergies and all kinds of other stuff. Solid Gold is passionate and that's why I love this product. They are passionate about gut health and a healthy digestive system and how it positively impacts the immune system and the overall wellness of their pets. Solid Gold was the first holistic pet food company in America. Get this, not when it first started to get cool, not when everybody jumped on the bandwagon. No way back in 1974, Conrad, I'm not even sure that you were a thought in your mommy and daddy's mind back then. Sissy McGill, she was a trailblazer, she was a visionary, and she was the pioneer who disrupted a male-dominated industry and created a natural pet food way the hell before it was cool. Sissy was inspired by European pet food and the fact that European Great Danes lived longer than their American counterparts. I love that. She looked at the situation, she looked at the data and said why, and realized that so much of it has to do with digestive health and what dogs eat. Well, she came up with her first recipe, Puntenflocken. Believe it or not, I still remember a little German from high school. It means dog flakes in German. And now dog flakes have provided high quality nutrition and digestive health for over 20 generations of dogs. Solid Gold's nutritional platform was inspired by the founding belief that high quality food is the best way to impact our dog's minds, body, spirit. Same thing with cats. It's so important. If you eat clean, you live clean. If you eat better, you feel better. It's true for dogs, too, people and cats. For over 45 years, Solid Goal has revolutionized the holistic pet food category, and they have a recipe for any dog or any cat's dietary needs, including healthy whole grain and grain-free options, wet food supplements like seal meal, and 100% human-grade bone broth for dogs. That's a whole new thing. Google the internet, ask about bone broth and all of the health benefits it provides to humans and for pets. Solid Gold Foods are different because they cleanse the digestive system with whole superfoods, balanced with living probiotics and fuel with omega-3 and 6 fatty acids, supporting both gut health and nourishing your pet inside and out. Right now, to save 30% on select Solid Gold products, go to solidgoldpet.com slash 83 weeks one more time for your pets that's solidgoldpet.com slash 83 weeks to save 30% on select solid gold products remember solidgoldpet.com slash 83 weeks if you love your pets like I do and I know you do look out for their health the same way you look out for your own feed them things that will help their immune systems and allow them to be healthier happier better companions
5: for the long run.
0: Well, we hope that, uh, you guys are, uh, following this raw as closely as I was following what Eric was saying, because there's a lot of moving parts in the wrestling business 25 years ago and today, and we're going to go back and revisit our Monday night, raw and a nitro from 25 years ago. It's June 10th, 1996. Eric, I've got peacock fired up on my end. Are you ready on your end?
3: Fired up and ready to go. My
5: brother,
0: here we go. I'm going to do a little countdown. And when I say play, you'll press play and Eric and I are going to try to, uh, add some context to what we're seeing here. Here we go in three, two, one play.
6: The world wrestling federation for over 50 years, the revolutionary force in sports entertainment. Am I skipping the intro here, bro?
0: No. And there's the, uh, the original, not the original, but one of the early Monday night raw openings. I, you know, I, I grew up on this, so I like this opening, but the nitro opening was better, right? I mean, it's not close.
3: Uh, well, it was decidedly different and, and therefore better. Um, but this is a cool open. It's, but you know, you're talking about 1996. So for 1996,
0: this was a great open. Let's track it a little bit here.
1: Team Championship partner Owen Hart, but right here, yes, yeah, Vince McMahon, along with Jerry the King Lawler, and right here, ladies and gentlemen, a special interview with a man whom you will confront at the King of the Ring, the Ultimate Warrior. That's right, McMahon. I'm awaiting the presence of the Ultimate Warrior, and I have a priceless presentation for him, a peace offering, so to speak. Can we show it? Look at this, McMahon. right this is our portrait.
0: So, we're seeing the uh, Jerry the King Lawler do the cold open here with Vince McMahon. Yokozuna is in the ring, and we're seeing this portrait that Lawler did of the Ultimate Warrior. We briefly talked about the Warrior last week or two weeks ago, whenever we did that watch along. Uh, and there you see the tease. We've got uh, Undertaker taking on uh, Bret Hart a little later. And here comes Owen to the ring, the Slammy award winning Owen. And a little recap here of uh, when he won the. King of the ring once upon a time. And there he is accepting his slammy award.
3: Did look you... at the hair on triple H?
0: Yeah. That's a My man right there. God,
3: did that man have a head of hair?
0: And so this is kind of rare. Uh, we we're seeing Yokozuna now, uh, feuding with his, uh, his former tag team partner, Owen Hart. We're used to seeing these guys paired up, but as we saw in that episode a few weeks ago, well, Yoko Zuna is now a babyface, and he's probably at his heaviest at this point. I think he's going to wind up uh, finishing up with the company. Not too terribly long after this, November of 96. There's been lots of rumor and innuendo that you guys once tried to get him to make an appearance. I believe at a Halloween havoc and even Scott Hall was trying to campaign for it. And ultimately Yoko passed on the payday. Do you remember having any serious interest at any point in Yoko or Owen Hart?
3: Um, well, not an Owen Hart primarily because he just, you know, he wasn't available. You know, he hadn't reached out to us. He was under contract, especially at this point, we weren't, you know, um, very anxious to get ourselves in any kind of a tortious interference situation with regard to approaching WWE contract to talent, things like that. So not out of, you know and any uh, lack of desire to have someone of Owen's caliber on our roster, but it just wasn't, it wasn't possible. Therefore there was no consideration for it. There was no reason to think about it or talk about it. You know, with um, Yoko, I'm, I'm sure there was at some level conversations about, Hey, what if, I wonder if this is possible. You think he might be interested. There were those types of conversations. I'm sure I was not a part of them. There could have been between, you know, Scott and Kevin or people that knew Yoko. Uh, Perhaps Kevin Sullivan was interested or involved in those conversations. I was not, by the way. I don't remember anybody in a serious way coming to me and saying, hey, we have an opportunity to get this guy. If we can, would you be interested? That level of conversation never occurred. But I'm sure that there was some dialogue within WCW offices uh, about at least inquiring into the possibility, by the way, I'm looking at Yokozuna here, you know, one of the, not one of the first, but I would say very, very early on in my career on camera in AWA, I had the opportunity to work with Yokozuna, who at that time was named Kokina Maximus. Did you know that Conrad?
0: I, I knew that was his name. I didn't know you worked with him in the AWA. That's cool.
3: Yeah. Greg Gagne especially, was really, really high on Coquina Maximus. I don't know what Coquina means. I kind of assumed it was some Polynesian word for ass.
2: And it was just like big ass. But,
3: but I, I never asked. But, it, you know, my limited, very limited early on interaction with, with Yoko was very, very nice guy. Soft-spoken know, the literal gentle giant, but uh, that was early in his career. I don't, I don't know how long he had been in the business. I'm guessing when I worked with him in AWA, it was probably an 88, maybe 89. So somebody out there that pays more attention to history than I do could probably tell us how long he had been in the business at that point, but he is making mincemeat out of Owen Hart here.
0: I, uh, I'm curious when you go back. And we try to watch these shows in context, by the way, this is a tape draw uh, in case you're wondering, same building that we were looking at before Fayetteville, North Carolina. It's the third hour of a four hour taping here. Uh, one of the big differences about nitro is we're going live every week. And of course there's lots of criticism. Oh, down goes Yoko. You got
3: to believe that Owen definitely had his eyes open on that one because, you know, if you miss time, for those of you that are not watching along with us, Yoko went up on the second rope, just looking out over the crowd, and he was going to basically fall back and splatter Owen. He was about a third of his size, and Owen was able to kind of roll out of the way at the last minute. But uh, the timing would have been crucial on that. If you'd have been a little slow on the draw, it could have messed things up for this match in a big way. It's, uh, that,
0: that's his finish. You know, Yoko would, would bring up, drag him over to the corner and then, uh, squash him, and that would be it the bonsai drop. But, uh, yeah, this is sort of the Swan song. That was a King of the ring qualifying match. Uh, but this is sort of the Swan song, uh, for Zuna. I mean, he's going to have a, a free for all match where he breaks the ring in August against, oh my gosh, look at this Mark Miro and Chris Candido, AKA skip and of course we're still teasing the ultimate warrior. Anyway, Yoko is, uh, not long for the WWF here. And one of the last times we would see him in a big show. And how about that? A little bit of uh, live footage from a house show. Rosemont. You know, it's interesting
3: to, to see that there was always, you know, even in WCW, um, for a long time before things turned around in 95, 96, there you know, it was always this debate, you know, how do we make house shows more exciting? Should we have title changes at house shows? So, you know, people that, because as a viewer, as a television viewer, you become conditioned to the fact that you're never really going to see any significant title changes unless it's at a pay-per-view eventually, you know, later on, it became occasionally on television, but for the most part, for many, many, many years, Um, you never really saw anything major happen on television um, or in a house, excuse me. Yeah. On television or in a house show. And probably once a year or more, somebody would say, okay, that's it. From now on, we're going to have title changes in house shows, and we're going to send a camera crew and we're going to tape it, blah, 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 blah. So I'm, I'm guessing that in 96, just by virtue of the fact that they felt the need to show that clip from the horizon Uh, Rosemont Horizon that, you know, WWE house show business was probably softening up at that point. They were just like everybody else that I've ever worked with. um, We're looking for ways to juice it up. And it looked like they had a good crowd there, which is even more reason to kind of show everybody that, hey, house shows are fun, too. Because as a viewer, again, you know, you you become so conditioned to seeing all of the top stars on television uh, or many of them, at least the lights, the set, the music, the pyro, you get all that fulfillment, you know, for your entertainment time, um, watching television. Then you go to a house show and uh, you don't get any of that. And it's kind of stark. And the more you can do to kind of make the house show feel like a big event, a televised event, the better, but here we go with Chris Candido.
0: So, oh, let's go backstage now and track it. Jim Ross talking to Yoko.
3: Yoko's in his locker room.
1: Yoko, I know you got to be very, very despondent uh, over what has happened. What are you thinking right now?
5: I don't know. It's just, I just lost it. You know, I can't believe it. Owen Hart. This is not the not the old Yoko. Maybe it's just. Thinking about getting my hands on Jim Cornette so so bad. I'm just losing it. Can't even concentrate. I just gotta go. I gotta find
0: myself. So it's fascinating to me that you've got one of the greatest voices in the history of wrestling, one of the most recognizable voices, the voice of wrestling, in fact, Jim Ross. But he's doing backstage duty. So we've got Jerry the King Lawler and Vince McMahon doing commentary. Don't get me wrong. I love Vince on commentary, but I just think it's interesting that Vince is thinking is or what it is. Maybe JR's too to Southern. Maybe he's too WCW or maybe he just thinks nobody knows how to sell this shit better than me. I know where we're there you going. Go.
3: Yeah. Bingo. Yeah. I, I, I buy that. It's hard to let it go, you know, and I can tell you from my own experience, it, when I've, Made myself play by play announcer for Nitro. I'm sure a lot of people thought his fucking ego, Nitro, prime time, head to head, big damn deal, you know, had to put himself out there. Why didn't he use Tony initially? You know, why did Eric put himself in that position? And I've said this before, Tony was by a mile a better play by play announcer than I was. The difference was I was more intimate with the goals and what we needed in the feel. I mean, it's not something you can communicate to somebody or I couldn't effectively and, and try to create the same level of familiarity with exactly what we need. And not that I, you know, I didn't always tick the box either. You know, I I was a good play-by-play person. I wasn't a great play-by-play person. And I knew that going in, but nobody knew the feel that I wanted better than me. Nobody was better able to nuance the little shots or stimulate the kind of conversation I wanted to stimulate better than me. And I'm sure in a, in a similar way, not exactly the same reasons, but I'm sure Vince McMahon had a hard time letting go of that play by play position. And it had nothing to do in my opinion. I don't know this, but I'm guessing it had nothing to do with whether Jim Ross was too Southern or too WCW or too this or not enough of that. I don't think any of that was true. Maybe, I don't know, maybe a little, but I think the overwhelming driver for Vince was more about nobody knows this product and how it should be sold than me because I'm calling every single shot. I'm making every decision. I know what I'm thinking about for this talent and and for future stories better than anybody. And I'm sure I always catch myself when I say, I'm sure of anything, but I'm guessing that had a lot more to do with it than whether Jim was, you know, didn't live up to any expectations.
6: Before
0: we got going on this match, we saw a recap of action zone, which was uh, the weekend show that you would see a lot of times from the WWF. And it was mostly a recap show. They would have some sit down interview segments. They would have some new matches, but it was really just keeping you abreast of what's happening in the company. And they had a sit down interview with Jake, the snake. And it's really one of the first times that Jake is on camera talking about and acknowledging his struggles with substance abuse and things like that. Um, what did you think about that approach at the time? I mean, I I asked that specifically because, you know, we're going to have a dead guy wrestling here in a little bit, um, we're still leaning on some cartoonish stuff occasionally in the WWF. I mean, the ultimate warriors coming out shortly, but that was a little dose of reality and realism. And that's sort of the direction you're trying to go here for all things. Nitro. When you saw, Hey, this is the, the, the angle they're taking with Jake, the snake where a lot of insiders knew that Jake had struggles, casual, you know, ticket buyers. They didn't know that. Jake had a substance issue. What'd you think of that decision?
3: I don't remember even seeing it or hearing about this particular promo, you know, and again, I know the narrative is that, you know, I sat and watched every you know Monday night raw, or I was watching it while I was doing play by play, whatever the fuck. Um, none of that was true. I wasn't, honestly, I wasn't paying attention to the WWE product at this time. I was pretty busy with my own and I had a clear enough vision of what I wanted to do that. I didn't really care what they were doing. Now I will be honest with you. Looking back at it now, um, I think it was a good choice. I, I think it was real. I was about to comment, you know, and we got sidetracked pretty quickly, you know, the Yoko interview that Jim Ross did backstage. I liked that. Yeah. That, that to me felt more real, more believable. And I was more interested You know, in Yoko, by virtue of watching that backstage interview, because the emotion that he expressed felt so real, as opposed to throwing a tantrum and throwing garbage cans around a locker room and grabbing Me Gene by the throat, putting him up against the wall. How dare you ask me how I? I mean, that's typical wrestling stuff, right? Yeah, over the top, ridiculous. You know, and and all of it was that way. So to see a guy who just lost kind of genuflecting <laughs> or, or just, you know, being so unsure of himself at that time, man, that's real shit. And that, that to me is interesting. So if there was an initiative to try to make raw more real and believable, and these are a couple examples, you know, it was a good choice and a good decision, by the way, before we go too much further, and I hate to, you know, just disregard Mark Merrill and, and, um, Chris Candido in this match. Cause they're, they're having a good match. And both of them are significant players in the industry at this time, but I happened to watch dark side of the, the, Jake Roberts, uh, episode of dark side, um,
0: with Grizzly. Yeah.
3: With Grizzly. I should say the Grizzly Smith, um, dark side. I didn't get a chance to see it until yesterday. And wow. What an amazing, amazing story. I have so much more respect now for Jake and, and even Rockin' Robin, and his sister. You know, I was at a, a signing with her a couple of years ago and, you know, kind of knew who she was, but didn't really know anything at all about her. And I can't wait to meet her again. You know, I have a ton of respect for people that have been able to survive and, and overcome, you know, what they went through, particularly in such a horrible, horrible way at such an early age. And we all go through shit. It's tough in our life. And hopefully you go through those things when you're old enough and mature enough to at least have a shot at dealing with them, but to go through the things that especially Robin did when she was eight years old, you know, that, that kind of abuse. I mean, I, I don't know how anybody survives it. The fact that she did and, you know, Jake eventually did and sure he's had his demons is probably largely because of what he went through in his family. Clearly um, the fact is, man, he's 66 years old You know, I think he's been on three different or four different television networks in the last couple of weeks. He's got a solid gig at AEW. He's doing what he loves to do and what he's been doing almost his whole life. And you got to respect a dude like that.
0: So you've probably figured out that I'm recording like, I don't know, 20 hours of content a week. And when I'm here in the office, I've got to wear these studio headphones. But once I'm out and about the rest of my day, I'm like everybody else. I don't want those big over the year dudes. I want a quick little earbud, right? That's what I'm looking for. I want a comfortable fit. I want something that I can use, whether I'm in the car or I'm out back or I'm on the water or, hey man, I'm floating around the pool, I'm on the lake, I'm on a boat, I'm on an airplane, or I'm just at my desk because I have grown to realize, man, handsets are not for me. I just want to throw those things in and get my work done And when I'm looking to do that, I'm making sure that I'm using Raycons. Whether it's for work or play, a lot of us are going to be on the move again this summer. My advice is do what I'm doing. Take the Raycons with you. And I'm planning a trip this weekend. Eric Bischoff and I were originally supposed to be in Baltimore. Now it's Jeff Jarrett and I. And right after that, the wife and I are going on vacation. We're going to go spend a few days down in Mexico. And guess what I'm taking? And guess what she's taking? Raycons. This is a no-brainer. You get crisp, powerful beats and half the price of other premium audio brands. Raycons look great and feel even better. They come in a range of colors and with customizable gel tips included for a comfortable in-ear fit. Now, that's important. A lot of those competitors out there, and you know the ones I'm talking about, they think it should be a one size fits all solution. Ah uh-uh. ah! Raycon understands, dude. Mine and your ear are not the same. Now, Eric's even talked about it here on the show. He's got a little bit of cauliflower ear. I do not, but we both love our Raycons. Now, how can that be if our ears are so different? I'm telling you, it's these customizable gel tips. Raycons are built to go wherever you go with quick and seamless Bluetooth pairing and a compact charging case. Seriously, I'm going to use mine floating around the pool. I did it all summer last summer, and I'm doing it again this summer, and you should too. I also want to mention that Raycon's 24-hour battery life and portability is unbelievable. 24 hours? I can't get that battery life out of any of my devices, but it's never a problem with Raycon. You can use them at work. You can use them on your workouts, whatever. It needs to be a part of your daily routine, and it will be once you get a pair. It was for me. So listen up. Raycon's offering 15% off their products for all of our listeners, and here's what you've got to do to get it. Go to buyraycon.com slash 83 weeks. There you'll get 15% off your entire Raycon order, and it's such a good deal you'll want to grab a pair and a spare. That's 15% off at byraycon.com slash 83 weeks. That's dot slash 83 weeks. You know, you like to say, uh, here on the show, context is King. And, you know, given all that we know about Jake's struggles, having the context of his youth phew, changed a lot of opinions about, about Jake, the snake and, Uh, we're talking about talking over a hell of a great match here. Chris Candido at this point, former NWA world champion. Uh, he's also a former WWF tag team champion with Bruce's brother, Tom as the body Donna's and they're taking on one of the newest WWF acquisitions to be clear, not all talent is going from the WWF to WCW. Some in fact is coming here. Mark Merrow is one of them showing up around WrestleMania 12. Couple months later, here we are in this King of the ring qualifying match Of course, Vince McMahon couldn't actually purchase the Johnny B bad contract. That is intellectual property of WCW. So this is the wild man, Mark Merrow approach and try as he might, I don't think it ever quite got over. And you and I have talked very glowingly about Mark in the past about in hindsight, maybe that Johnny B bad character did more to hurt him than it did to help him because this guy's a legitimate golden gloves boxer. He's uh, built like a, a Greek God. He's got a, a, a wonderful mane of hair and, uh, he's also a motivational speaker these days, so he can talk, he looks great. He could beat your ass. And oh, by the way, he has a smoke show of a wife running around the outside. Did you, <laughs> did you meet rena marrow at all? When, when, when he was working for WCW as Johnny? John, of course, of course. as we've talked about before, you know, bef-
3: really before I was even in management at WCW, um, I, I would go over to Mark's house myself, DDP, you know, Chris Canyon, a bunch of guys would, would go over to Mark's house to watch boxing. There was a big fight on, um, obviously Mark was big into boxing and we'd, we'd hang at Mark's house. And it's not like it happened every month or whatever, but frequently um, go over there and sure. Met, met Rena Rena would come to the shows. She'd bring her daughter. She'd be at the shows. So yeah, absolutely. Interacted with her on a, on a, social level quite a bit
0: was there ever any consideration on your side of uh mark what if we tried to put her on camera with you you know that never it would have never occurred to me and
3: you know maybe i just didn't have enough vision in that regard but my impression of rena back then she was as introverted of anybody that i'd ever met she was, I mean, always, you know, friendly, but very introverted. And I would have never imagined in my wildest dreams that she would have even been remotely interested in being out in front of the camera. Shows you what I knew at the time. <laughs> I mean, Clearly, um, she really liked the camera and, and did well with it. But I would have never imagined that that would have been true.
0: They're having a hell of a match here. Our referee Jack Doan is your, uh, your third man in the ring. And again, we're, uh, on a tape show here. So momentarily we're going to watch the Monday night nitro that aired on the exact same night. Oh, are we setting up the uh, top rope Frankensteiner here? Yes, we are. Hey, we saw a few minutes ago. I think that that should get us done. We saw a few minutes ago, uh, Mero do a top rope sunset flip. So the idea being Candido is sort of crouched over in, in the ring. He's on his feet, but he's leaned forward, almost like he's setting up a stone cold stunner or something. And then Mero jumps from the top and flips over him, trying to do a sunset flip. I bring this up because I believe Eric, that could be one of the dumbest moves in wrestling history.
3: Anything that comes off the top turnbuckle like that, when you, I, I just, it's one of my pet peeves. I'll go off on a tangent here if I allow myself to. I'm gonna fight it, but whenever I see, you know, two guys up on the top turnbuckle jockeying for position or throwing lame ass fucking punches that couldn't crack an egg, and it takes forever for that sequence to develop, so that there's a high spot. I just about gag i throw up in my fucking mouth because it looks so stupid if there's anything that you work hard on you finally got me into the match it looks like okay i'm gonna forget that this stuff is all what it is and i'm gonna get sucked into it because i'm into the story and i'm into the characters and it's believable enough looking that it's, now i'm into it i'm invested i care who's gonna win and who's gonna lose and then they stagger up to the top turn buckle one guy sitting there on his ass you know, selling and the other guys slowly making his way up and you're both helping each other set up for the spot. I think if there's anything that could be eliminated in today's wrestling in terms of a high spot, please let it be that I don't care who you are. It looks fucking stupid. I don't care how well you do it. It looks stupid. I don't care how perfectly it's executed. You are taking your audience out of the moment. So. Damn, I wish somebody would wake up and quit doing that shit. It's just ridiculous. Let's track. You see a guy throwing a punch. He's up. On a, first of all, you can't throw a punch when your feet aren't on the ground that can do any damage to anybody. I don't care who you are. I really don't. I don't care if you're fucking Brock Lesnar. You, you, and you put a 66-year-old Eric Bischoff up on the top tier buckle, and you're trying to keep your balance, and you're trying to set up for whatever it is you're going to do, and you're throwing these arm punches, Oh my god it's just ridiculous come on people let's start a let's start a, a, a petition and send it to all the wrestling promotions around the country and to the people that participate in them asking pleading fuck demanding that they eliminate some of that silly shit because it hurts the product okay I'm done sorry ah! Who's this? Oh, the warrior
0: in a fucking hat.
3: Yeah. Which was my first reaction. Who's this? It's not what you want.
0: <laughs> You're going to see you don't why to say, who's this? You're going to see why in just a moment.
3: All a reaction. though.
0: Some of that's sweetened, but. Man, some Jim, it. Jim, <laughs> Jim Johnston. By the way, the guy who made this theme song. What do we got to do to get that guy in the Hall of Fame, Eric?
3: Well, I don't know, but maybe. What do we got to do to get him to write some intro and outro music for us, man?
0: Let's, oh, let's I can do that. We'll take just, this to the next level. We'll send him an email, but here's the deal: you need to send Vince an email. You, you got to get Jim Johnston in the Hall of Fame. Let's track it.
1: Jerry the King Lawler has a uh, some sort of special presentation he wants to make for the warrior look warrior we got to get these differences between us settled i know you're a little upset with me i know you think that i cost you your shot at being king of the ring but first of all let me just say this it ain't so great being a king believe it or not it's a pretty tough job you know as i've said before heavy hangs the head that wears the crown it ain't easy being me and it wouldn't be easy being a king for a whole year so Really, I sort of saved you a lot of trouble because when you wear a crown, when you're the king of the ring, you become a target. Everybody's after you, warrior. So listen, look, here's all I wanted to do. You know, I've been, I've been looking through your, your new comic book. It's fantastic. Some great artwork, beautiful artwork. And you know, I'm an artist myself, both in the ring and outside the ring. <laughs> so what I've done, just to try to square things between you and I, I took time out of my busy schedule, Warrior. And I did a portrait of you. And I hope you like it. I want to give it to you. No charge. Not a penny. Not nothing. It's a gift. From me to you. Now you got to admit, this is a good portrait, You're, you're a good guy, I'm a good guy. This is my gift to you as like a peace offering. I'll give you this. We'll shake hands. We don't even have to do anything. You're anything. trying to get out of the match, that's all. That's just, You're just trying to get out of the match. Why do we have to have a match? We don't need to have a match. Look at this. Look at it. Look at the rippling muscles. Look at the biceps. Look at the pectorals. Look at the detail in the face. A lot of time and trouble. A lot of heartfelt feelings went into this portrait. It's for you. I want you to take it. It's a gift.
7: Warrior...
5: Jerry the King Lawler. But how I see it, I see you as the biggest con artist there ever was.
6: That's the kind of artist you met.
5: I can appreciate the art. And I can appreciate the time that was taken to get it done. But there's only one king in the World Wrestling Federation it a king of the ring, a Wrestlemania, a Survivor Series, a SummerSlam, the battleground doesn't matter. Right here, warrior, created by a destiny, fulfilling a destiny, bonded by the belief, the belief that at the king of the ring, I'm going to kick your ass.
0: So we see, uh, Jerry, the King Lawler crown the ultimate warrior with that framed portrait and glass goes everywhere, but the ultimate warrior insisted on wearing the goofy fucking hat out of concern that he would get glass in his head and he would get cut, but literally King hit him with the backing. So the glass went the other way, but warrior didn't trust it and demanded that he wear a hat for the first last and only time that he ever wore a hat on WWF TV. And it looked fucking stupid, didn't
3: it? Yeah. Yeah. I thought, well, f- first of all, and, and again, this is the, the, the part of wrestling that sometimes I overthink maybe, um, I'm sorry. You could hit a 10 year Well, I'm going to, I'm not going to say that you could hit anybody with that picture frame and not hurt them. Yes. Piss them off. But how do you sell that? Yeah. I mean, this, that's the stuff that drives me crazy. It's I get it. It's visual, but damn, Hey, buying that shit. And by the way, um, did you know that Jerry Lawler was a bull rider? What? Jerry, the King Lawler, was a bull rider.
0: You're making that up.
3: I am not making it up. I saw the picture. I'm going to reach out to Jerry when we're done here today, and I'm going to invite him out to Cody, Wyoming, because, you know, Cody, Wyoming is the rodeo capital of the world starting on June 1st, all the way through labor day. There was a rodeo every night and the 4th of July. Rodeo is rocking. And I didn't know that, that, that Jerry actually, you know, rode bulls. Um, I should be clear about this and not be misleading he rode a bull, but if you ride a bull, I mean, legit at a rodeo, rode a bull, solid picture. What was her name? True story. Um, I'm going to invite him out here and maybe get him to do a guest appearance at the Cody night rodeo and see if we can get him on a bull again.
0: <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen.
3: No, I don't think that's going to
0: happen either. Thank you. Rather- I'd like
3: to have Jerry come out to Cody, you know, Hacksaw, Jim Duggan's coming out here and. In a couple weeks, Sonny Ono is going to be here as cap Miller's going to be here.
0: Wait, are you serious? Right I
3: have now? a whole bunch of WCW folks here. Why? Um, or, uh, a celebrity golf and softball tournament. It's going oh. to be fun.
0: Uh, are you going to win?
3: Fuck no, man. I'm just, I'm going to be drinking a beer, watching on the sidelines.
0: Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hang on now. Didn't you, I mean, you used to complain about the way guys threw sidekicks on TV and now you're not going to get out there and do your thing. Listen,
3: when I, I I can throw a side well, I, I used to be able to throw a sidekick, um, but I've never been able to play softball. I suck at softball. Really? You know, when I was a little kid, this is this is sad. This is a really this this left scar tissue on me that still exists to this day. I remember growing up as a kid, growing up in Detroit <clears throat> in the summertime, we'd all get together, we'd choose teams, and you know, we'd play baseball. And I never knew that the pitcher's job was to try to make the batter miss, right? I thought the pitcher's job was to throw a ball that was easy to hit so there'd be action in the game. And it's a fun game. Everybody wants to see people hit the ball, people run around the bases, maybe you get out, maybe you don't get out, maybe get a home run, maybe you don't. I was always, cause nobody ever taught me how to play baseball. My dad was paralyzed when, when he was very young and I didn't have any older brothers or anybody, neighbors, or anybody that could teach me how to play baseball. So I just assumed that the pitcher's job was to throw the ball in such a way to make it easier for the batter to make contact. And one day I got chosen, chosen to be on a team and, and I said, oh, let Bischoff pitch. So I'm out there doing my very best. And I was fucking good at throwing the ball in such a way that the batter could hit it, splatter it. And about halfway through, somebody came up to me. One of the kids came up and said, hey, Bischoff, get off the mound. You know, just get off the mound. We're going to replace you. And I thought, well, can I play outfield? And I'll never forget. Kid looked at me, goes, no, you can play off field.
0: Oh, what a line. That
3: was the last time I played baseball, brother. Let's listen to Sean. What's Sean got to say here?
5: I lost it for one second. My whole world was gone for that brief instance. I don't. I can't lie to oh, you. Oh,
7: let, let's cut to who shot John. He knew he got beat, and he knew I, I, that he was it. gonna go cry to Gorilla Monsoon. You've got but your rematch. I know something that you don't know, and I know something that Sean don't know. And that would be? <laughs> well, you know this big lawsuit that Gorilla Monsoons had against him, courtesy of Clarence Mason, where Monsoon tried to physically decapitate the man yeah, right stop there. Stop it. It's sue about, a, sue his pants it. off. Oh, that's a it. sight I wouldn't want to see, King, but huh? we had a big lawsuit against him, but it's been settled. It's been settled out of court, and we didn't even ask for damages. No money or nothing. Settled out of court? Just a little consideration. You see an agreement for dropping the lawsuit that we had against Gorilla Monsoon and everybody else in the WWF that he had to give us a little consideration. If it wasn't for that 98 pound weakling referee last time, then the British Bulldog would be the champion. He got leveled. He got knocked out. So this time, there's going to be a referee that ain't going to get leveled, ain't going to get knocked out, and Honest moral forthright referee that we picked a special referee for the Shawn Michaels British Bulldog match at the King Uh, of the Ring, picked by me and Clarence Mason.
5: (laughs) That's now do you know about this? I don't
4: know anything
7: about it. Well, it's a fact, I guarantee you that. You got to pick him, Jimmy! I got to pick him.
5: Now see, now I'm not again I'm not I don't wanna I'm not gonna come out here and yell and scream and complain, but Jimmy Cornette gets to pick this guy? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, look, look, what he's, look what he's put me through in the last couple weeks. The allegations, the lawsuits. I mean, this guy could come up with anybody. Come on.
7: Son, I mean, let me tell you something. What I've put you through the last couple of weeks ain't going to be the half of it. You're going to have it king of the ring. You're going to rue the day you ever saw me or the British Bulldog, you know, and you're you. losing that belt. Thank, you thank better you go get on us. the phone to Gorilla Monsoon. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you better go get another line of work, fella. All right, ready for action now. The British Bulldog one-on-one against the...
0: <laughs> So, continuing the cornet versus uh, Shawn Michaels feud, and the babyface Undertaker taking on the very much heel Davy Boy Smith. Of course, we would see Davy Boy uh, come to WCW eventually, and at this point, the Undertaker had already done his tour of duty in WCW. Um, as oh, Mean
3: Mark Callis,
0: Oh, I've always been fascinated by your insistence. Nope. We had no interest in Shawn Michaels. It clearly at this point, the best wrestler in the world, as far as an in-ring performer, young He's a basket
3: case, nobody that, in their right mind would, would want to bring that, especially into WCW. And I have all the respect in the world for Shawn Michaels today, but I wouldn't want him anywhere near me or, or my roster back at this point. He had issues, man. He's talked about them. He's written books about it. He's very transparent about it um yeah he was great but she had, especially <clears throat> because we brought Scott and Kevin in that made it even more um I was even more convinced that I didn't want Sean anywhere near WCW once Scott and Kevin came in because I I would oh my God I mean it was hard enough as it was can you imagine bringing in Sean Michaels before he cleared himself up and got his head straight and you know he he he, really, he found God, he found his religion, he he found his faith, he found strength and really cleaned his act up in a dramatic way. But prior to that point, no, I don't care how good he was.
0: Man, if you're a business owner, you don't need us to tell you that running a business is tough, but you might be making it harder on yourself than necessary. Don't let QuickBooks and spreadsheets slow you down anymore. It's time to upgrade to NetSuite. Stop paying for multiple systems that don't give you the information you need when you need it. Ditch those spreadsheets and all the old software you've outgrown. Now is the time to upgrade to NetSuite by Oracle, the world's number one cloud business system. NetSuite gives you visibility and control over your financials, HR, inventory, e-commerce, and more. Everything you need all in one place instantaneously. Whether you're doing a million or hundreds of millions in revenue, save both time and money with NetSuite. Join the over 24,000 companies using NetSuite right now. Let NetSuite show you how they'll benefit your business with a free product tour at netsuite.com forward slash 83 weeks. Schedule your free product tour right now at netsuite.com forward slash 83 weeks. That's netsuite.com forward slash 83 weeks. Let me ask though, just hypothetically, let's just pretend. What if it wasn't Scott Hall's contract that expired first? What if it was Shawn Michaels? Would you have brought in Shawn and Kevin as opposed to Scott and Kevin?
3: No. And I know you and I had a huge debate about this last week about whether or not yeah, the catalyst, that's the important part of this discussion, the catalyst. Oh God,
0: we're back to my that idea. Shit again.
3: It, it would not have occurred to me because Sean had never been in, in, in WCW. The, the idea wouldn't have come together in my own mind. Initially, before I even talked to Scott or Kevin, seriously, when I knew I was going to be having conversations with Scott or Kevin that was the premise. That was the idea. That was the catalyst for what became NWO for me. And I don't think the idea would have would have popped into my head if it was Sean. Now, I'm not saying if Sean would have, if, if Scott and Kevin weren't there and Sean would have been available. I don't think the risk of bringing Sean in would have been quite as high because Scott and Kevin wouldn't have been there. I may have considered that, but I can, I, I, I can tell you that I'm, I don't think the idea would have percolated in my skull um, for anybody other than Scott and Kevin.
0: I'm fascinated by your thinking at the time.
3: You know, I mean, I don't know why it's so hard to believe or so fascinating. It's, you know, ideas just kind of happen. You know, it's not like I've been set, I had been sitting down for months and months and months trying to figure out a way to create this NWO idea. And it was just, it wasn't the case. It so, was, no, it's just, you know, the idea, Scott Hall's available. You want to have a conversation? Sure. I'll have a conversation. Hang up the phone. What the fuck would I do with that? If it were to happen, how does that work? What would I do? That's how the NWO idea evolved. That's where it started from. I don't think it should be that. It wasn't like something that we'd been working on for months. It was just a spontaneous idea that occurred at the end of a phone call.
0: That's it, man. I'm not arguing no. any of that, but we've got room for Ted DiBiase. We got room for Mike Rotundo. We got room for Virgil.
3: Yeah, but but that was later. I'm not arguing any of that. After, 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 you know, the NWO, then those opportunities in the idea to expand all of those things happened after, Um, not before. Now, would I have brought all those guys in with, had there not been an NWO? Absolutely not. I would not have because there wouldn't have been a reason to, It wasn't like I was out, and I know this is going to dispel the the rumor and innuendo and the narrative and the nonsense, um, the circle jerk of digital bullshit that still exists to this day and certainly existed back then. I was not out trying to just hire WWE talent because I could, but there came a point when, huh, this is starting to make some sense. And that, by the way, by the way, that point was called momentum. You know, I didn't know that the NWI idea was going to work. As, certainly, I didn't know it was going to work at all, truth be told. And there's no way I can honestly say to anybody that I was confident that it was going to work as well as it did. It was just another idea when it first started. But once it caught fire and once it started to gain, the momentum it gained in such a short period of time, and I think that's another aspect of this, because I didn't expect it, no one did. Nobody that's honest with themselves will tell you that they did. But once it kind of blew up in your face, it's like, okay, we've got a whole nother idea here. We've got a whole nother opportunity here. How can we make this opportunity, which we didn't honestly see coming, how do we make the most of it? And that's when the DD de- Bibiasis came in and there were time just came in, but, and I know it feeds into an, an a, a false narrative of, IRS just trying to buy all that WWE talent. That was not the case, folks. You can believe whatever you want to believe and go to your grade, believing it if you choose. But I can tell you from my perspective, that was not the case.
0: Bullshit. So <laughs> a pretty good match here. Undertaker <laughs> and uh Davey boy.
3: Would you have ever We've covered Davy boy? I brought Davy boy in because I wanted to, to shore up our international opportunities. It was a strategic move. It was not because I felt creatively. We needed David boy Smith. No disrespect No remind everyone, David boy Smith. It was a strategic move.
0: Remind everybody about your strategy and all those big shows you ran in the UK. Well, just
3: <laughs> nice point. Credit to you for that. <laughs> Look, WCW didn't have okay. time machine context, people. Sure. There are a lot. There were a lot of promoters in Europe, just like there are a lot of promoters here. They promoted rock and roll. They promoted Esca, uh, uh, Disney on ice. They promoted all kinds of live events. There were only a few really good wrestling promoters that were familiar with the wrestling product and were wired or connected to the audience in Europe. Um, And there was one in particular, I'm trying to think of his name, but I can't at at the moment, but there was one promoter in particular, but he was married to WWE. He had been in bed with WWE and doing business with WWE for a long time and doing so very successfully. And our goal was to find if we couldn't get that promoter, um, the idea was to get the very next best promoter we could possibly find. And in order to do that, we had to get a talent that promoters in Europe who had their feet on the ground and knew the business in Europe, not understood the business here in the United States and thought they could just go over to Europe and apply the same methodologies and be successful. We needed somebody in Europe who was wired in at the most local level who understood the business and we believed, I believed and others that helped me put the deal together or justify the deal, because I had to justify it, by the way, um, felt that if we could get Davy boy on the roster, we would be better able to negotiate a working relationship with a higher caliber promoter that would eventually allow us to be able to maximize our promotional tours in Europe, much like wwe was doing because if you you think you know there was a big disparity between wwe at the time and wcw in 96 on television or 94 or 93 it paled in comparison to the disparity in our ability to promote internationally compared to wwe's ability they'd been doing it for much longer as i just said they had much better relationships with higher quality promoters and wcw didn't have any of that and the strategy behind bringing Davy in, the primary strategy, it's not to say he didn't have value in other ways, but the primary strategy was to position WCW so that eventually, not overnight, not overnight, nothing fucking happens overnight. I know people like to think it does. And all you got to do is do this and do that. And boom, something great happens. Bullshit. That doesn't work. You have to build. And we were building towards developing a stronger international presence. And Davy was a linchpin. In, or in a key component to us being able to do that.
0: Double down spot here. Uh, referee Tim white is counting down both folks. What about Paul bear? Uh, he at different times was, uh, a big part of the WWF. Did you ever have any conversations with the real life bill Moody?
3: I didn't. I wish I would have had, cause I've never met anybody that knew Mr. Moody that didn't have really glowing things to say about him as a person and as a professional, but I, I, I don't think I've ever, I didn't even, I, I've never met him in person. Never had met. him.
0: The fans are on their feet here.
3: Jim Cornette getting some major television boy. Talking about Jim Cornette, major television time. He is all over dark side of the ring. I hope he owns a piece of that action.
0: I think he gets paid his appearances there but man he is made for that show is he not he knows how to speak in sound bites he gives them what they're looking for every time i know he's a, a fairly controversial figure but lord he he's entertaining hey how about this an old promo for the uh the hotline we are going to talk about brian pillman when we start our nitro show but how big of a, a revenue driver was this to your recollection when you guys did the one I mean, it was
3: ancillary, meaning it, it, it was, you know, on a scale of 1 to 10, it might have been a 7 or an 8, but it was consistent, and it was meaningful. You know, in and WCW, and again, context here, you know, 93, 94, you know, well, 92, 93, when we first started really driving in Hotline, WCW needed every nickel they could get. Right. And if we had a $20,000 month because of Hotline revenue, that was a good deal. We were excited about that. That's how tight things were. So it was while not, you know, pay-per-view significant, but if you go back and you look at WCW's revenue streams, you know, we weren't getting any money from television licensing. So that was a big fucking goose egg. Our pay-per-views were eh, they did okay. They were the only profitable thing that WCW did. Um, at that we're talking again, 92, 93, 90, early 94. Um, so the hotline was very important. It would be insignificant by today's standards. right? But at that time, it was a critical piece of revenue because WCW didn't have that much. We had pay-per-view. Our house show business sucked. We lost money every time we went out the door. So there's no revenue stream there. It was actually a big black hole that people kept throwing money in for some odd reason. Cause They felt like, well, that's what you do if you're in the wrestling business, but um, so now it was by today's standards insignificant, but in 92, 93, 94, even in the 95, very important to our bottom line.
0: We're talking over a pretty good match here. What do you think of this, uh, Undertaker Davy Boy match? Oh, look there, mankind grabbing him. Let's track it.
7: Tiger, prevented him from coming back into the ring. Bulldog, guess, Bulldog he, don't need to be close to this guy. I don't want my men around this guy. He's an insane, he's an idiot. Come on, Bulldog, get away from him. Bulldog and Mankind. I, I gotta Ter- get
2: out of here. Terrible I'm pulling Tim Mankind.
1: And Jim Cornett has just left the announced booth. And Mankind is in the ring. And look at Cornett trying to get a Bulldog on the outside. Imagine this.
0: So, I like the finish just to catch everybody up. Undertaker and Davy Boy uh, struggling on the outside of the ring. The referee's making the count. Big pile driver from Mick Foley there. And uh, as the Undertaker throws Davy Boy in, he goes to make the climb in himself. But out from under the ring, a couple of little hands, one wearing a mandible, mandible claw, start holding onto the Undertaker's leg. Undertaker can't beat the count. So, therefore, Davy Boy wins by count out. Pretty creative little finish and it builds our mankind undertaker thing even more. I like that creative. What'd you think?
3: I liked it too. And before we, before we go and close this episode up, I just want to, you know, give a nod to Tim white, the referee in this match. Yeah. Have you ever had a chance to meet Tim?
0: I have very nice guy.
3: He is the salt of the earth. He is one of the most genuine nicest guys you'll ever meet. And if you ever have the opportunity, Conrad sit down with them again and buy him a beer. Um, if you can nudge him into some Andre, the giant road stories, I mean, Tim white literally, you know, he was with Andre 24 seven when they toured and when, when Andre was active in WWE and man, his recall of stories, his love and respect for Andre, um, You get a chance, take them out to dinner, give yourself about three hours. It'll be the best three hours you've ever invested.
0: Well, we're going to invest, uh, I don't know about another hour and a half in this episode, we're going to watch Monday nitro from the exact same night, June 10th, 1996. If you're like us and you're watching on Peacock, you'll want to go to season two, episode 22 of Monday nitro. That's season two, episode 22, June 10th, 1996. Eric, I'm going to give you a minute to, uh, to find that spot. Just let me know when you're there. And I want to briefly mention the raw. We just saw got a 2.7 rating, which we're going to talk about a little later, but I also want to talk about some news and notes as we get going here on nitro. All right. So without further ado, let's get going on Monday nitro. I'm going to give you a little bit of a countdown and then we'll get going. Three, two, one play.
3: This is a hell of an open, isn't it? Big time. God, it still gives me goosebumps when I see that open. It still does. It's time to get rocking.
0: We got the open here and uh, the fireworks. This is such a big difference in the presentation. The, the flames from the corners, the hot open, it just feels like a bigger show than, than Monday Night Raw already. Well, it, in many ways it was, you know,
3: we've, we talk a lot and people talk a lot about production values and the production value of WCW went from a two to a nine, well, two to an eight. You know, over the course of such a short period of time, but largely that was because, well, it was because of two things. One, we had a budget that enabled us to do it, but more than, any, more than that, we had a crowd and you could afford to turn up the lights. You could afford to present a bigger, wider picture. You could take really cool wide shots. We never even needed to have, you know, a boom camera in, in the past, you know, because our crowds were so small that we couldn't afford to take a wide shot. Now, all of a sudden, we've got crowds, you can light it differently, you can shoot it differently, and as a result, the production values went up significantly, but it still had that, that real live feel to it. And, and I, I had this conversation with somebody the other day, somebody else's podcast or a radio show or something, but you know, I think there's a way where you can still have great production value, but allow the viewer to feel like they're actually in the arena, You know, I think today, one of my issues with today's product, at least with regard to WWE, not so much in AEW, but with WWE, is that when I'm watching at home, I don't feel like I'm in the arena. It's so perfect. It's so pretty. I almost feel like I'm watching a movie. And I think there's a lot to be said for that grittiness that comes along with not being quite so perfect in your camera shots or your camera angles, and certainly with your lighting. And while, yes, you can see the audience, it's not so overlit and overproduced from a production value perspective that you no longer feel like you're actually in the ring.
0: We're seeing a recap of last week. Let's track it here. Uh,
5: huh? Okay. Okay, tough guy. I got a little, no, I got a big surprise for you next week. And fans next week
1: is this week. What is that big surprise? We hope to find out during this two hours of WCW Monday Nitro live as we kick it off with the greatest wrestling action in the world, world championship wrestling. We go to David Spencer, ladies and gentlemen,
0: by the way, the set, the whole presentation, the lighting rig, the entrance set, it just feels bigger. You know, it's, it's fun. You know, at the time we're all watching it. Maybe I don't appreciate those things the way I do now, but watching the shows back to back, I don't know, man, nitro feels more like a happening and it doesn't hurt that it's live. Even though a lot of uh, wrestling fans in this era, were starting to get a little more quote unquote smart to the business. Uh, The observer and the torch are are growing by leaps and bounds. The internet is growing. A lot of those quote unquote smart fans at this point knew what the big surprise was going to be but the masses, the overwhelming majority did not. And we're going to see the debut of Kevin Nash here on this episode, but man, what a stark contrast to watch these shows back to back. It just feels like the other show we just watched was almost going through the motions.
3: Yeah, it was different. And by the way, since we're talking about the set and lighting design so much that of of the things that really made nitro just do a complete 180 in terms of its presentation. David Crockett needs a ton of credit in this regard because I, I wasn't the one that designed this set. I knew nothing about, you know, lighting design and the best use of lighting. Um, David Crockett did and put a lot of time into it. So if there's any credit to be given to the set and the set design and the lighting design. The majority of it goes to David Crockett and a good portion of it goes to Craig Leathers with, with regard to camera shots and things like that. But David really was the guy that made this show look the way it looks.
0: What a big match to start to Booker T, uh, with a real different haircut than we're used to seeing on Booker T these days, taking on Scott Steiner, who also has a unique haircut of his own. What would you call that? That kind of mullet that Scott's wearing there. A Kentucky, oh, that's a mega mullet. Yeah, that's. So there
3: are mullets and there are mega mullets. This is a mega mullet.
0: Two of the all-time greatest tag team performers. And we know, I mean, here's, what's kind of fun. Now that we're, we have the benefit of hindsight, right? This episode, such an important episode of nitro is where Kevin Nash debuts. And the first match is Scott Steiner and Booker T and on the last nitro for the world title, Scott Steiner and Booker T.
3: Whoa. I didn't know that. That's a, that's an interesting piece of wrestling trivia.
0: I mean, at this point, they're both tag team guys, but you fast forward to the very last nitro and the world title is going to change hands and it's these very same performers and you see uh, your referee, Nick Patrick in there, by the way, I want to mention we're in Wheeling, West Virginia. There's only 3,500 fans here. Uh, the gate is a, uh, paltry $41,000, which is Didn't even begin to scratch the surface of what the cost of producing this show was, but WCW is still going to turn a profit here in 1996. It's going to be a banner year for the company. And man, it's so easy to see that Booker T has charisma that just comes right through the screen.
3: Yeah. He, he, he was born with charisma and, and only gained more of it as time went on. And here's another perfect example of what we didn't know. Uh, Had we known how successful, you know, the NWO angle would have been, had we known the momentum that we will have already, we would have already created at this point a year earlier, we would not have been in Wheeling, West Virginia, no disrespect to Wheeling, West Virginia, but we would have been in a venue that would have been able to accommodate a much larger audience. But probably six months or a year previous to this night, there's no way anybody would have known that. And we were still booking arenas, you know, with the idea in mind that we really weren't drawing that well. So we had to be very careful and judicious about which arenas we went into because you didn't want to look like, you know, you were half full.
0: What would your family do with an extra $108,000? That's a problem that our listener Jacob out in Colorado has. Now, thanks to savewithconrad.com. He recently saved money with us over at SaveWithConrad.com, gave us a five-star review, and wrote this. Our previous mortgage company made each step of the process difficult, but Jimmy took it in stride and made it happen. He was able to lock us in at 1.5% less than we were at and saved us $108,000 over the life of the loan. Guys, that's unbelievable. Jacob saved more than hundred and eight dollars But how much can you save? It's free to find out right now. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket, and if we can't save you money, we won't waste your time. Find out how much money you can save right now for free at SaveWithConrad.com. And we lesson number six five zero eight four Equal Housing Lender. And oh, by the way, did we mention no house payments for two months? And we're licensed in more than forty states. So what are you waiting for? Start saving money today at SaveWithConrad.com. Nice little sidekick there. This, they're going to have a good match here. Meltzer didn't hate it. He gave it two and three quarter stars. I do want to mention as these guys are tearing it up here, they're fresh off of some pretty big news. Three days prior, uh, June 7th, Buffalo, New York has WCW's biggest house show in history at this point. It's a tribute show. And, uh, to Diapollo, who we know had, uh, the really big, uh, Italian restaurant that all the boys would go to. It's the last ever event at the Buffalo war Memorial auditorium. You drew 14,852 fans, 14,082 of those were paying customers. The house for this house show, which is a tribute show was over 193 grand. And you even have Bruno San Martino on the show. Uh, the main event was the giant retaining his WCW title, over sting what do you remember about this tribute show if anything? what can you tell us about De uh, Paolo I screwed that name up and his Italian uh, establishment and Bruno San Martino man that's not something we remember hearing about a lot in this Nitro era Bruno in WCW
3: yeah I get a lot to say about uh, Dennis Depololo the Paolo family in the Depolo Italian restaurant in Buffalo number one it's some of the best Italian food I've ever eaten in my life. I've never had the good fortune of going to Italy yet. Um, It's on my list of things to do because I love to eat, but DePaulo's restaurant in Buffalo was mind-blowingly good. The cooler thing about it is that everywhere you sit in that restaurant, there is amazing wrestling memorabilia, primarily photographs. Uh, Dennis DePaulo, Uh, His father was in the wrestling business. Dennis grew up in it. They're so, um, now I haven't been there. It was about three years ago I went there last for a fundraiser and got to throw out the first pitch at the local uh, Buffalo minor league baseball team. In fact, I saw Tony Schiavone there. Tony Schiavone was doing radio uh, covering baseball. And it had been the first time I'd laid eyes on Tony This was like three or four years. I don't know. It must have been long enough. Maybe four years ago. It was the first time that I laid eyes on Tony since I had left WCW. And we didn't get a chance to talk much, but it was was a fun night. But the the event itself, the house show, yeah, clearly, you know, I remember it very well um, because of the revenue that it created. I think Jim Kelly also showed up um, that night as well. I could be wrong about that. I may be mixing that up with another night, but it was a phenomenal night primarily because of the work and effort that went into it by Zane Bresloff, number one, and by Dennis DePaulo And because of his local connections, he, Dennis is so well connected because he does so much for the community and has for generations. So yeah, it was a phenomenal night. I can't wait to get back to Buffalo. Actually. The first thing I'll do is go to the restaurant.
0: What about Bruno? Oh man, there it is. Scott Steiner gets the win. Any memories of, uh, of having Bruno around,
3: you know, I had a couple of me- uh, one, one meeting specifically, I remember very vividly because there was some conversation about bringing Bruno in, uh, as a color commentator. Um, you know, I didn't have any history with Bruno. I, I, I wasn't as, you know, uh, fluent in Bruno's history within the wrestling business. I lived in Pittsburgh for a while and when I was a kid, Bruno San Martino was a champion of me and my friends used to, in fact, one of my friends' his father uh, had worked on Bruno's house. Uh, he was a, a mason, you know, bricklayer, and had worked on Bruno's house. So we kind of knew where he lived, and we'd kind of sneak around and try to get a shot or get a look at Bruno, you know, when he, when he was outside. Um, much like I did with Vern Gagne when I was a kid in Minneapolis. But So I, I knew vaguely of Bruno's history, but not the detail, not his relationship with WWF and all that. And I knew, I probably knew more about Bruno through Larry Zobisco because Larry and Bruno were very close. So what I knew of Bruno, I knew through Larry Zobisco And there was a point where, you know, we, in fact, I went, I took Bruno to dinner at the Omni hotel and restaurant. It was a good restaurant out there at the time, probably still is. And Bruno and, I, and Bruno and I sat down and, and had a, uh, I know a couple hour dinner together and talked about the wrestling business and talked about where I wanted to take WCW and all that. I don't remember why we never did a deal. Um, we didn't, but it, it it was a very fun meeting and an enjoyable meeting. And I, I'm grateful for the opportunity to have spent that
5: time with him.
0: Let's listen to Scott here.
8: Fire and ice. There will be a winner in Baltimore this oh, Sunday. Oh, oh, wait a minute, Scotty. Deborah McMichael.
9: I'm so, I'm so sorry to interrupt you right now, but I really have to talk to Mr. Oakland right now about my husband. I'm so sorry, but I have to get this point across right well, now.
8: This is highly unusual, Scott. Uh, it's okay, me and Jean,
5: take her away. She looks very upset.
8: All right, you and I will hook up a little bit later on and finish this conversation. Deborah, as I say, this is highly unusual. What uh, What's well, going through your mind?
9: Well, I tell you, I couldn't even sleep last night, Jean. I mean, I've been thinking about, you know was coming up this this
8: this sunday, sunday of course in baltimore and
9: i've been really upset about it and i'm worried about my husband Stephen. and i know you know he's a really great athlete and i know kevin green's a great athlete and i know mr anderson and rick flair they're great too at their professions but i'm worried that steven might go a little crazy and he might hurt someone permanently and i'm really really upset about that and you know, I feel really bad because I feel like, you know, it's my fault.
8: Wait a minute, Deborah. I want to take the guesswork out of this right here and now. This is not your fault. Ric Flair has a reputation. He has taken visual liberties, he's talked about you, he said things that shouldn't have been said, and he has infuriated your husband.
9: I know, but it's silly to to let someone get out there and get hurt permanently over something silly like that. And I tell you what I really want to do here tonight, I want to ask you to see if maybe you can make a meeting with with Mr. Flair and Mr. Anderson. And maybe we can talk this out and and like end this before anybody gets hurt.
8: Are are you saying there's a possibility we're going to call it off?
9: I wish they would.
8: Here's what I'm going to do, Deborah. I will try to get hold of Bobby Heenan. As you know, I worked for him. He's going to be the coach for Flair and Anderson. Let me see if I can get an audience. If I can, we'll do it here tonight.
9: Because I know, like Randy Savage, I mean, you don't know what he's going to do.
8: A lot of nuts involved in this thing. Thank you very much. I I appreciate your concern, Deborah McMahon. How great is Maine
0: Gene, and how not great was Deborah? I was, God, I was
3: thinking the same thing. Gene made sense. Yep. And laid out the entire story in a way that people could identify with. And Deborah was just, look, I'm not knocking Deborah. She, she, this was not her gig, man. She hadn't been doing this for long at all, hardly, or maybe ever. So she was struggling through it. But here's what I did like about Deborah. And this is an example of what, what I meant when I said sometimes you, when you overproduce things and things are too perfect, the fact that she was unsure of herself. The fact that she could barely get out a coherent sentence is probably what someone would feel like if they were really scared. That's real. She was nervous. She seemed overly concerned with her husband and the situation she was in. So if she would have come out there and cut like a world-class promo, it would have been believable. That was believable partially because it was so imperfect and Gene did what Gene was One of the best at, if not the best at was make sense out of it and lead her through that promo. I, I thought it was, I thought it she, she knocked it out of the park because it felt real much like the Yoko interview we talked about before. That was a natural reaction. And I think Deborah's here was natural.
0: Here's your man, Diamond Dallas page. Boy, he is not yet figured out who DDP is. He's still trying some things. And I don't know the gum, the big hair, the vest, the crazy neon tights. One word,
3: one word. How would you describe it? Swap meat? obnoxious. There you go. There you go. I like yours better. Swap meat works.
0: Cause here's the thing. The guy a year from now, it's like one of the coolest guys in fucking wrestling. And so, you know, Hey, let that, let that be a lesson to all of us out there. Right. Never stop learning. Never stop evolving. DDP is one of the great success stories in all of pro wrestling. And it's so unlikely, you know, starts out late in life in the professional wrestling game and sort of against all odds succeeds. And he hasn't talked about this in a long time, but I mean, at this point he's learning to read, you know, that, that's, yeah, a, he was, that's a he's, special uh, individual to be this successful and overcome all of that, including I mean, he learned how to read late in life. That's, that's something else, man. It is
3: something else. And what's even more amazing is you, if you look at DDP now and the success that he's had with his DDP, yoga or DDP yoga, I'm not sure he gets really pissed off if yes, I he say does. it wrong. And right now he's down in um, South America. So hopefully he's not going to hear this if I said it wrong, (laughs) but you know, he's built an amazing business. Here's a, and this is what I love about DDP. Here's a guy, you know, you've already given the backstory, most unlikely person ever to end up being as successful as he was starting out late in life in wrestling, but that's not where he stopped. Right. That was just one step on a much cooler journey because Paige was smart enough and Paige, I love you. I'm going to say this and you're going to take it the fucking wrong way. And I'll apologize in advance. It's not that he was so smart, right? Because he was determined. Yeah. Um, He, he had to learn a lot of things the hard way, which I respect, but he has become so successful with his DDP yoga program. It's amazing to me. He's having more success now financially and probably enjoying what he does more. He's having more success now than he ever had in the wrestling business. Yeah. It's amazing. Nothing but respect for the cat. And he's, here's the other thing he's helping people while he's doing it. And that's his biggest rush. He was always that way. He didn't know what to do with it, but he was always trying to, you know, he was the, the re you know, Chris Canyon. He was the reason Chris Canyon, you know, got his opportunities in in wcw and a whole bunch of other guys andre uh what's andre's last name the special effects andre Freitas. freitas that's because of ddp he was always trying to help other people find their way and now he's taken that you know natural part of who he is and leveraged his wrestling success and instead of sitting around being bitter about it you know drinking and cussing out people who are now successful and complaining about how good the business used to be and all the shit that you hear so many bitter people talking about Bret Hart. Instead Mm. of doing that, Mm. he's out helping people and making a fortune doing it and enjoying every minute of it. So every minute of it. So good on him. Glad, glad, proud to be able to say he's a good friend of mine.
0: Yeah. I mean, every now and again, we'll, we'll bust his balls about something that's old wrestling related, but, I still contend one of the greatest wrestling success stories of all time about overcoming obstacles and, uh, just achievement and persistence and on and on. So kudos to him. And he's wrestling Jim powers here. Oh, there's the diamond cutter. Boom. And look at the crowd react. Let's track it.
1: Cutter. We've seen that move before. Diamond Dallas page has it done to a science and he got this guy
0: that, that whole diamond cutter thing. We just saw Jake on the other channel. That's sort of Jake, the snake inspired, right? He was one of DDP's mentors and the DDT was over like Rover here's the battle ball ring, but still point being, he made that thing matter. The diamond cutter mattered.
3: He did. And I I think he worked with Jake on trying to develop that, that version Let's track this. That became the Advanced, yeah, diamond color. Proven
6: by the actions of the taskmaster at Slamboree. Is
1: he holding him or what? Oh! of
5: book out of the way!
6: But with the loss came a display of mistrust.
5: Where were you when Blair lost the belt?
2: you supposed to be the enforcer!
6: Benoit's actions may have confirmed the Taskmaster's suspicions of his loyalty to the Horseman. Or does he have a more important one, Jimmy, concern?
2: This Hulkamania is not dead! By no means! He will come back and he'll be looking for some people, including a giant, including you, including me!
6: Is this paranoia, or does the Taskmaster see something else festering deeper than the Horseman?
2: I know serpents better than anybody in this planet, and the way you get rid of a serpent is you crush the egg.
6: Crushing anything isn't easy when it involves a horseman. But the Taskmaster has already proven himself to Ric Flair and Arn Anderson by flushing out a man undeserving of the title.
2: I respect you, Booker Man. I do have honor for two people. That's Ric Flair and Arn Anderson. Because they stood beside me, Jimmy Hart, when I slapped that Brian Pillman all around the ring and got him out of here. Now I'm going to do them a
5: favor. When it's over and said and done, we will all know exactly where we stand.
6: Deal? Deal's a deal. On June 16th, Chris Benoit may have found himself in a deal without the aid of his comrades in a match where falls count anywhere.
2: It's just a
0: it's just a so we're seeing the uh, evolution of the story here of, uh, the dungeon of doom and the horseman, and we briefly saw not only the Benoit thing, but sort of the precursor, uh, was the Brian Pillman thing as a reminder, Brian Pillman signed with the world wrestling Federation three days prior to this. So that whole, I respect you booker, man thing, Lloyd. we've talked about this till we're blue in the face Look at those kids with WCW painted on their back. That was nice to their family. Anyway, it's a little silly, but, uh, Brian Pillman, man, he's out of here. It's official. He's gone. We just saw it on dark side of the ring. Um, anything else left to say? It feels like we've talked about Brian Pillman ad nauseum on the show here in that whole story, but I want to give you an opportunity to clean anything up if, if you'd like to.
3: No, man, I, I think we've, we've talked about it enough. I think people have a pretty good idea of what they believe in that story. And, uh, so be it.
0: And here comes uh, Conan, a uh, nice little video package here on our us champion, you know, Conan, I think most WCW fans and people who are listening to this probably remember him as part of the NWO and, uh, more of the K dog persona, if you will. Yo, 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 let me speak on this shout out to keeping it 100 and all of our friends there. But this is a different version of him. He's backstage with me and Gene here, and he's our U.S. champ. Let's track this promo. got
8: going to be challenged by a South American this Sunday night in Baltimore at the Great American Bash. It's El Gato. That's right,
2: El Gato, a legend in South America of legendary proportions. And if I may be so presumptuous, just like myself in Mexico. But you know what, Gato? you got to come to the United States and prove yourself just like I did. And believe me, I have because I'm the U.S. champion. A todos los latinos, los invito que vayan a Baltimore, Maryland. Apoyarme, y si no, que el pago por evento porque no les voy a fallar. Gato, any apathy on your part will lead to your demise.
8: All right, I think that's short and sweet. Conan, United States champ to challenge El Gato this coming Sunday, live from Baltimore at the Great American Bash. Right now, let's get you back up to the ring.
0: So let's talk briefly about Conan. Uh, some of our listeners who, who may not be familiar with his past prior to the NWO stint may not know that he was once upon a time, the biggest star in Mexico, uh, as far as the wrestling business goes very early in life. He was, uh, on soap operas and the top performer in wrestling. I mean, this is a dude who's riding around at, you know, 20, 21 years old in a Ferrari that he just wrote a check for. He achieved so much success so quickly And a lot of that was just based on his look. I mean, not only is he a handsome devil, but much bigger than a lot of the other stars that we saw down there and charisma that just jumped off the screen. And now here he is a big part of what you're doing on Monday nitro, Uh, who was so adamant that, man, you got to take a look at this guy in Mexico. You got to take a look at Conan.
3: I'm not sure who, who first brought Conan to our attention. Um, I was aware of Conan, but not at all familiar, just aware. But somebody, and it could have been, you know, Sullivan, it could have been somebody else. I'm not really sure, to be fair about it. But what's interesting is this a uh, couple of weeks ago when I did the most recent AEW episode. Yeah. I, after the show, um, myself and Britt Baker and Chris Jericho and Jerry Lynn and a handful of others sat around the table and had a cocktail together and Jericho really went into depth about not only his time in Mexico, but also he spoke a lot about Conan and I learned a lot. I mean, I always knew he was over right in Mexico because you just heard the stories. Yeah. He was like the whole coconut of Mexico. Okay, cool. Whatever that means, but to hear Chris put it into context and give you color and, and perspective on just how successful, and how over Conan was, I, I had no idea really, you know, kind of intellectually, I understood he was over, but the degree to which he was over, I didn't really get. Pretty fascinating dude. Really. And that promo that we just heard, you know, Conan early on in WCW, that was a phenomenal promo. Yes. It was really, really well done. So I, I, I get it, you know, I get it a lot more now. Thanks to Chris Jericho, but yeah, I get it.
0: Go out of your way to uh, check him out. He's got a fantastic podcast. The guy who puts together our podcast, Joe, Joe Feeney, he actually puts together keeping it 100 and is uh, the third voice there. A lot of the times with disco Inferno and both of the, that whole crew, great friends of our show and glad to support them. And somehow Conan is everywhere, man. It, it's, it's so cool that he's still got so much juice in the wrestling business, not just in Mexico, but he was on that same AEW weekend, you know, during the stadium stampede there, he's the DJ in the back and you see him doing some stuff with MLW and impact and man, he is, uh, he's all over the place. He's somehow in this, in this great wrestling war, this resurgence that people are talking about, it feels like, uh, he's, uh, he's Switzerland. He's got representation on all sides.
3: He's a cool cat. you know, I, I love doing his podcast. I uh, probably end up doing it again here pretty soon as a result of what I'm about to say. But when you talk to Conan, you know he can talk about wrestling and, and 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 it brings a lot to the conversation because of his experience, particularly in in Mexico and around the world. But he's just a fascinating dude. you know when it comes to current events. Um, he's not as cut and dry as people would expect. He's deeper and has a much broader perspective on things. than I think most people would that don't know him would give him credit for, but he's a, he's always had his finger on the pulse, man. He, he brought a lot to the NWO. He brought an edge to, you know, we've talked about this before when we talk about the NWO and I know we're going to be talking a lot about it over the next several weeks or months, but you know, I, you've heard me, you know, put X-Pac over as being that kind of an edge to NWO that it really needed Conan did the same thing. Yes. In arguably a much bigger way because of the international vibe in the I hate to say street cred like I know what the fuck it really means, but it's true. He Conan a, was fucking cool. That's it. He was cool as shit and he was believable. Believably cool as shit. He yes. was is cool as shit. Yes. And it and he brings it to to the camera in a way that you couldn't pretend to be that cool and get away with it. Correct. People will see right through your shit. Conan was gi- legit and he was genuine about it. And he really, again, another layer of one of the things that I think made NWO successful, uh, and Conan, you know, was responsible for that.
0: And it looks like sting's going to pick up the quick win here over Ming Sting at this point is one half of the WCW tag team champions. Let's track a little bit here.
1: Simon! be a different story for sting. Let me tell you that right now. More action live on WCW Monday night. I to the cup, Rick Flair and Arnie Anderson.
0: Plus the jet. You know, listen, you've carted out some pretty big stars so far on this. I mean, we saw a DDP match with the diamond cutter. We saw uh, Scott Steiner and Booker T. We just saw Ming and sting. Uh, here's William Regal.
8: Regal beat another pathetic
6: American wrestler. I hope. You appreciate what I'm doing for you. I'm bringing some class, some dignity and some skill into your otherwise miserable lives.
0: So he's going to be taking on a uh, hacksaw Jim Duggan boy. This is, uh, don't get me wrong. Love that performer, but did a little bit of a different presentation. Me and gene in the back here with Bobby, the brain and Deborah let's track it.
8: For McMichael to get an audience with the nature boy, Ric Flair. I may have done so with Bobby Heenan, Bobby, all she would like is to halt the carnage before it starts between her husband, Steve McMichael, Kevin Green, and Flair and Anderson, the guys you're going to be coaching Sunday night in Baltimore.
10: Now, you want to talk to Rick Flair and Aaron Anderson now, tonight? Now, I have to talk to them tonight. Now, all week long and all night long, all week, you've been talking to Flair. Now you...
9: I have wait, wait, not what, been talking all night.
10: Now oh, she I wants just, to talk you to want to insult people
8: again, right? Don't start that. Don't get involved in this. If you Sheena. want to talk to Flair, follow me, toots. all right deborah we're gonna see if uh rick flair will perhaps talk to you this is dressing room locker room uh here they are the gals i see if i can get some kind of a shot here okay hey she just about took took the What? wait wait a minute Hey, what is going on? What are you doing? What have you done, Claire? What have you done? Oh,
2: no! My goodness oh. sakes! What the? What's
1: going on here? Anderson, Claire, please, ladies and gentlemen, get some help in here. Pina, stop this. What in the world is going on? The bigger police, Larry. Goodness well, I tell you, Gene, that's Joe so is out of it. That's look, Joe Gomez look, and the look, Renegade. Look, their yeah. opponents yeah. for later yeah. on in this telecast. Yeah. Don't have Ozerlin yeah. call out yeah. my yeah. name. Have him do something. Yeah. He's standing right there. Now, the Dillinger back in it. Yeah. it. Gomez is out, yeah. and yeah. Out the Renegade is stomping on his yeah. knee, yeah. chasing Deborah yeah. McMichael out of the dressing room. Yeah. Oh, and look at it Here's
0: So, Renegade, of course, the ripoff Ultimate Warrior, who's on the other channel. So I guess it makes sense. Hey, let's cart him back out and just beat him up.
3: Uh, I don't know if that was
0: the motivation, <laughs> could
3: have been, I guess, but <laughs> you never know what goes through the minds of some people who are competitive and like to stir up shit.
0: Yeah. I wonder what they could be thinking. Uh, Squire, Dave Taylor coming to the ring here with chiefs. who you've told us recently was also wildcat. Willie W C W, uh, what was the last time we just heard that Bobby Heenan promo? What was the last time you referred to a lady as toots? Uh, never. Yeah. I don't, never. I, I was trying to think if I've ever even heard that word in real life. Toots. You get your ass kicked
3: now, right? You could probably get away with it back in 1996, but I think if you referred to somebody as toots, even in the context of a wrestling show, you would probably find yourself in the midst of
0: a cancel culture hurricane. Toots. You should try it with Mrs. B. Just see what happens. (laughs) She, she's, you know, she could go for it. We don't know. Oh, no. She would probably think,
3: um, actually here's another little tidbit. Nobody has ever heard this before. And for good reason, but my mother-in-law's nickname, she's since passed Lori's mother, her nickname was toots. Oh my, is that real? Yeah. And everybody called her that, you know, what, family. Yeah. I mean, when I first met her, I know I didn't call her toots. That would have been really fucking weird. But um, when I first met her and I started going to some of Lori's family's family functions, weddings and such, everybody come up to us. Hey, toots. Hey, tootsie, how you doing tootsie? How you doing tootsie? I was like, kind of weird, but cool. But yeah, that. It, but I never did call her toots. It just felt too weird to call my then girlfriend and, soon to be wife, her mother twits. It just, eh, didn't seem right.
0: Speaking of didn't seem right. Hacksaw Jim Duggan here in 1996. Was he, uh, he passed his expiration date. Do you think? Um, no, I don't. And I didn't then again, we'll go
3: back to things that we've talked about. Others have said similar things. Now, my, my impression or my philosophy is that wrestling needs to be a buffet. There needs to be a little bit. Look at the crowd reacting. You tell me as he passed his prime. Wrestling needs wow. to be a little bit of something for everybody. And there was still, you know, fans that really liked Hacksaw Jim Duggan. And hmm. was he ever going to be, you know, the main event? Probably not. He knew that. Um, everybody was aware of that. But did he have a role to play?
10: Absolutely, he did. It's your weekly reminder to make sure that you are taking advantage of all things Conrad over at adfreeshows.com. The content library is phenomenal with so many options that cater to you, the wrestling fan. Whether you enjoy hearing your favorite podcasts ad free or watching them on your smart device, maybe you're interested in MMA or just enjoy the wrestling nostalgia. I guarantee there is something for you. The interactive experiences alone are worth every penny. From Nick Aldis and Thunder Rosa to legends like Nikita Koloff, Arn Anderson, and Jim Ross, they have all been a part of our live interactive events where you get to talk to them and ask the questions that are on your mind. So what are you waiting for? Head on over to AdFreeShows.com and choose the right tier for you. So much value and a wide selection that is free as well. That's right. Free content you can start enjoying today. So do it now. Go to adfreeshows.com and sign up today and join the fastest growing wrestling community. Again, it's adfreeshows.com. What's your favorite Jim Duggan
0: match? I don't know that I have one. What's your favorite Jim Duggan promo?
3: I don't know that I have one. Okay. But what asked me sure. what my favorite, one of my favorite Jim Duggan crowd reactions were. What's one of your favorites a few minutes ago. It doesn't. Yeah. You see, everybody's, you know, I don't know. Everybody has their different opinions, dude. And I, I just look at things differently.
0: Hey, here's my point. Yeah. I just feel like you're bringing in all this innovation on this very same show. I mean, look at what we're watching here, what he's yeah, doing. But- this whole clapping and stomping and all that is 1985 wrestling. And you're about to set the wrestling world on its ear with your, you know, uh, realism here of the NWO. And you ever go to like, a, you know, there's a lot, like these little stores and in, in small communities and it'll be like a bakery, but really it's the day old bakery. So <laughs> this is still edible bread. Like you could still eat it, but we can't really put it in the grocery store anymore. It's, it's getting a little stale. But I mean, it's still technically edible. So here you go. Here's some day-old bread. And at this point, the hacksaw Jim Duggan presentation with what you're trying with the NWO and the cruiserweights, and we just saw Scott Steiner and Booker T. Uh, hacksaw Jim Duggan's day-old bread here in '96.
3: I it depends how you look at it. I. Here's the thing. It wasn't like we were going to make a wholesale top to bottom change from now on. Everything has to be a reality-based NWS type presentation. That was never my intent. There were a lot of things that were a part of our show that on a personal level didn't really ring my bell. Didn't even get close to it. But you need you need some of that type of presentation, and in, in this case, we're talking about Hacksaw Jim Duggan and Dave Taylor. Yes, you could say that's oh, that's an '80s wrestling match. Sure, it was, but there were some people in 1996 that still liked that. There were still, you know, people in that audience that still look at You can see them reacting at ringside that still love the Jim Duggan character. And if you've got a two-hour show, as this show was, you can't have every match have the same exact presentation because the entire audience didn't all like the exact same thing. So he had to mix
0: it up. Well, from now on, anytime you and I watch one of his matches and he comes out and goes, "ho," I'm going to go. Old <laughs> You're such a dick. Yeah. Uh, I did like that. He wore his underwear at the same height as my dad though. I mean that, Oh, here's a, here's a little, uh, teaser from a and Mysterio. <laughs> Uh, it's just music, but still lots of cool recaps. I got to tell you in 1996, I was convinced these were the two best wrestlers in the world besides, um, Shawn Michaels, as far as the cruiserweights went, give me Dean Malenko versus Ray Mysterio every single day. And I'm good with it. Every day. Can't say enough great things about either one of them, but in my book, Dean Malenko.
3: I don't know, man, there was something special about that cat. I liked him still do. He's a cool it, it, number one. He's a hell of a good human being. Um, but when he, when he was at his prime, mm-mm, mm, he was the
8: real deal for me.
0: Oh my gosh. Speaking of Dale Brad, here's a little more
8: that. Well, at one time I would have wanted, it's uh not a prerequisite at this uh, juncture, Jimmy Hart. I want to go back in time. A couple of weeks back. It was your man, Big Bubba, one of the members of the Dungeon of Doom, who blatantly and openly cut the locks of shark, of avalanche, of big John t- And then this statement I'm came up last week.
5: I'm not an avalanche. I'm a man. John Tanta.
8: That was the announcement. He, he was not a fish. He was a man. And then can blow last weekend,
3: That's awesome.
8: going to be at this time, Jimmy Hart, your man, Big Bubba, who's going to be facing John Tenta this Sunday at the Great American Bash.
1: You know, John Tenta, the taskmaster said, if you don't pull your own weight in the dungeon of doom, then you
8: suffer the consequences. And that's exactly what happened to you. You know, Big Bubba, I know a bad barber when I see one.
1: Big John Tenner, you say you're not a man, that you're not a fish anymore, that you're a man. Well, I tell you what, I proved to the whole world by that haircut I gave you that you're nothing but a half a man. And I tell you what, the whole world's been laughing at you behind your back for years. <laughs> I just gave my reason to laugh at you to your face. And you think at the Great American Bash that you're going to get revenge on me by cutting my hair or the giant's hair? I'm
8: going to leave you laying like a beach well you are and sweep you out with the trash at the Great American Bash. Much. Big Bubba, nice beard. Stay tuned. We've got more Monday. Nitro when we return here on tnt
0: dude that sucked
3: i what do you mean that sucked that was an awesome promo by Big <laughs> that promo was on the fucking money i could have lived without the jimmy Hart. Squeaky <laughs> fucking, i can't even do it that just fucking obnoxious laugh of his which you know he's supposed to have because he's a heel and i get that but man oh man but that promo from ray trailer that
0: was on the money. Guarantee you nobody scripted that. Jesus Christ, how much screen time is Mean Jean getting here?
6: Nothing the soul. flash.
0: The flash. And the crowd goes mild.
8: Jeez. All right, Scott Norton, I want to quickly remind these folks watching not only here but at home what happened last week. Let's very quickly go back. I want to remind you of the awesome power of the man you're going to be meeting tonight, the Giant.
0: All right, so they're trying to set up his match with the Giant. Real question everybody listening to this knows what a badass in real life Scott Norton is. Nobody is going to dare say boo to him. But for whatever reason, I don't know that you ever really got him over. In WCW, why do you think that is? Why don't you think he connected to the audience more? I mean, nobody's fucking with that guy in real life. You talk about believability. He just oozes it. But for whatever reason, he's never really positioned near the top of the card. And I realize he's about to wrestle the giant, but the fans weren't with it. And you and I talked a few weeks ago about, Hey man, Goldberg sort of was what he was. Scott Norton could have did that. Scott Norton just oozed believability, but for whatever reason, he's just, he's not there. Why do you think that is? Well, there's probably a lot of reasons. I'll, I'll give
3: you some of my top of mind ones. Uh, Scott Norton is a very close friend of mine. Love him to death. Known him since before I got into the wrestling business. So we go back 35 years or so. Um, you're right legitimate badass real deal but that doesn't mean anything in professional wrestling it doesn't right. hurt but that's not why people watch you or that's not how you get over um Scott started you know I, th- I think he trained with Brad Ringens, um yep. Yep. maybe Eddie Sharkey I don't remember for sure um, spent a lot of time in Japan. Scott probably was more Japanese-style oriented than he was an American-style performer. And I don't think that, you know, Scott didn't make the transition from a Japanese-style to an American-style as maybe as well as he would have needed to in order to become a top star. There's two differences in presentation, particularly back then, probably still today. I don't watch enough of the Japanese product to know, but at least back in the nineties, you know, the Japanese style was significantly different than the American style. And you have to be able to switch gears. Scott brought a lot of the Japanese style with him, And that didn't really connect as much to the American audience as it would have in Japan. Number one. Number two, Scott wasn't the best talker. Now you could you, and I know what you could see yeah, up, but neither was Bill Goldberg. true. Um, but in, you know, Bill Goldberg had that right thing at that right time. and there's a difference between presence and charisma. You know, Scott definitely had the presence because he was so big and he had
5: that deep voice. And yeah. just, he would rattle the windows whenever he talked.
3: <clears throat> and that's a valuable thing to have, but you need to have a little bit of range. In order to take that next level. So I think if you combine the lack of comfortability with an American style, with the lack of a really strong, you know, microphone game, uh, it's probably why. And there's another thing, too, and this is one of the challenges now. Bill Goldberg didn't have it because of the way we nurtured him along and the way we brought him in and all that. And, yes, you could say, yeah, but you could have done the same thing with Norton, and you would be right in saying that. Um, we didn't. A lot of that has to do with the timing and the way we brought Scott in. Um, Timing's everything. But, so what?
0: Timing is everything.
3: Timing is everything. Timing is everything. But I, I again, I think it's just Scott never really fully transitioned to American sound. He didn't have a strong mic game. Mm.
5: That's
3: just a fact. But he was still very, very successful. One of the coolest cats in the business. And actually, as much of a badass as he was and probably still is. Yeah. One of the most gentle, kindest people you will ever meet in your life. He is, he is like, he's a teddy bear in real life you could you can you can find the inner demon if you choose to but just in a normal course of business or day-to-day life you'll never meet a nicer person or more, kinder more gentle person than Scott Norton
0: he's like a fucking fire plug is he know it? He's, he's
3: he's amazing he is and some of my best memories of Scott were watching him. I, you know, he lived in Atlanta when I was chartering jets to go to nitro and, you know, in order to justify the cost of a jet, I'd have to put six, eight, nine people on the jet. And Scott was always one of them, but he hated it. He wanted to, he wanted to fly on the jet because he wanted to get to nitro and he wanted to get home the same night as we all did. But the jets I was chartering, most of them at the time were like Lear 24s or, you know, Lear 30s, I think, or. Small citations, citation twos, and they're like little tuna fish cans with jet engines. They're really, really small. And Scott was a little nervous to fly anyway. He didn't really dig flying. And then you put him on a little jet and he you <laughs> he'd sit down in about 45 seconds after he took a seat, the sweat would just start pouring off. I don't care if it was 45 degrees inside of that jet. He'd just start sweating bullets. He Hated it. You'd be taxing out to the onto the runway, you know, and m- maybe hit a little rough patch, you know, on, on the on the runway, and the plane would shake a little bit. Go, oh my God, what, what's going on? <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah, funny,
3: but you know,
0: he, he oh, Big Show yes. setting up a big choke slam.
1: Oh! Well, that may have
3: Big Show and Lex Luger in a heated battle. For those of you who are not watching along, as
0: you should be on Peacock TV, go check it out. So yeah, somehow, some way we've got a, a bit of a brawl here. Um, the giant picks up the win over Scott Norton down comes Lex Luger, the dungeon of doom come in before Lex can continue the beating, but it looks like he was going to tease the big choke slam through the table. Like we saw a few weeks later. So things are heating up between your favorite faction, the dungeon of doom. Oh, and here's Lex coming to
5: chat. Well, I guess the giant. (laughs) does feel pain one for you one for me the gloves are off the rule book is out the window at the great american bash giant you do feel pain don't you and i got a lot more surprises for you for the total package i'll see you there
3: lex was lex luger at the top of his game here do you think i do
0: yeah that's about as good as he looked right
3: and I mean, he even performed, I mean, he, he just had a lot more command. of his character. I think he felt more comfortable.
0: Oh my God. How old in, is Billy Kidman here? Is he in eighth grade? 12. Yeah. He just turned 12. I mean, um, seriously, he looks like Ralph Macchio and karate kid right here. <laughs> anyway, I didn't mean to cut you off on Lex, but I was just taken aback by Billy Kidman. No. And here we see Jeeves not uh, out,
3: not once, but twice. This time with Lord Steven Regal, who looks surprisingly just like the Squire Dave Taylor. Oh, that's right. They were tag team partners at one point. At
0: uh, this point, I've explained. the Blue Bloods. How about uh, Regal's facials? Some of the best ever in wrestling, you think?
3: No doubt about it. He's such an interesting cat. I'm going to talk to him. I'm going to make a point sometime in the next year or so of taking him out to dinner. We had a nice conversation about. A month ago, really long conversation on the phone and I'm going to follow that up with a nice dinner and really learn more about him because he's, he actually is far more fascinating than I think people really know more than I know for sure. I'll speak for myself.
0: Is he uh, still in Atlanta?
3: Uh, I didn't ask him where he lived. Actually, we didn't talk about that. I I guess I assumed he was in Florida because of he's working down in
0: NXT, but yeah, you're right.
3: Uh, I didn't ask if he was still in Atlanta or not.
0: I mean, how about this for a pairing though? A young Billy Kidman. I mean, William Regal's still a youngster here too. You know what? Let's just look that up right fast. Billy Kidman. Let's take a look. Born in 74, uh, May 11th, 1974. So right here. He's just turned 22 years old Wow, he's, uh, still
3: to this day, very successful as a producer in WWE saw him at the uh, hall of fame ceremony. Always good to see Billy. He's had a great, great run and it, he's, he's in the midst of a great run. And part of that great run was with Tori Wilson and who cannot just admire that
0: I think uh, regal here has just turned 28 and we see sting come down. And uh, Wallop Regal.
2: In his hand, did you see that? He him.
1: must have a, a roll half dollars or something in his hands. I don't think so.
3: <laughs> Regal, he can sell like a son of a bitch, can he? He's
0: a he's an unbelievable. I don't know method actor.
3: I mean, really is because the real. Well, his name isn't really Steven Regal, but the real Steve Regal, um, the real
0: Darren Matthews
3: just so elegant the way he speaks is so elegant perfect he thinks about everything single thing that he says and here he's playing a character that's exactly the opposite of that a parody of it if you will but Nasty boy. I just got a happy birthday text from Brian Knobs last week. First time I've heard from Brian in a long time. Hope he's doing well. I haven't seen him in a long time. What's your favorite Brian Knobs match?
0: Um, I loved his tag match. Uh, I think it was Spring Stampede against Max Payne and uh, Cactus Jack. How about this? Public Enemies, Rocco Rock, and Johnny Grunge doing a bit of a run in. We're off to a hot start now, boy. These guys don't give a shit. They're going to beat the shit out of each other.
3: Yeah, they 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 not only don't give a shit, they enjoyed it. I mean, some people thrive on it. <laughs> some people don't. All four of these guys did, and certainly did in this in this match. Wasn't Rocco a boxer? I believe
0: that sounds familiar.
3: Yeah. I think, I think he was, a, I'm going to have to look that up after the show. I'm sure somebody listening to this will correct me on social media. and Remind me of what a dipshit I am because I don't remember, but I think he was a, either a golden gloves boxer or a pro boxer. He's a super guy, by the way,
0: the real life Ted Petty is who we're talking about here. Let's take a look. See if, uh, he had a brief boxing career. You're exactly right. Gra- graduated <laughs> from. That. My rug-
3: memory served me well for once. Split screen here. If you're not watching along, which oh look at. Oh my God. Jerry Sags, who is again, you talk about a le- legitimate tough guy. Sags is right up there, but just through a series of rights and lefts that looked like he was trying to make pizza or something. I mean, it's just ridiculous. The split screen here, the presentation, dual cameras. I really hate.
0: Yeah, this is a, a World it. War III thing, right?
3: Yeah, I, I mean, I get it. I understand why you think it might work, but it's, you know, 80%, 70% of the visual that you're looking at here is a graphic, and it just takes everything, makes everything smaller and feel less important. Brian OBS now setting himself up, gets rolled back into the ring, Rocco Rock stalking, setting something up here. You can tell Johnny Grunt's on the outside. They're going to set something up here. Actually, what they're doing is they're taking a breather. (laughs) Brian is probably saying, dude, I'm blowing up. Give me a minute. Here's another pet peeve. When you're begging the crowd to get behind you, I don't know why. It just drives me nuts when I see people do that. Come on, get with me now. I don't hear enough. I don't hear enough of you. Come on, get with me. And more blistering sissy hand attacks in the corner by the nasty boys.
0: I feel like we should mention, uh, Meltzer would point out that this match got 11 minutes. He gave it negative one star. Uh, we sort of glossed over when we were talking about how young Billy Kidman looks, that's actually his WCW debut. I think he was one of the, uh, and, uh, wild Samoan. Proteges, He went to their training school up in Pennsylvania. Did you have, uh, scouts who were actively looking for guys out of wrestling school like that? Or how would a Billy Kidman have made it across your desk? If you had to guess,
3: um, I mean, we had a lot of people that were sending in tapes and, and things like that. Who knows? It could have come in a million different ways. I would say Terry Taylor was probably at the time, the person, who was most active in reviewing tapes and soliciting tapes and, you know, bringing different people to the table for us all to take a look at. So if I had to venture a guess, it would be Terry Taylor. Um, but not, not really certain. Could have been Kevin Sullivan. Kevin Sullivan, I think had relationships with, uh, Alfonsica, uh, could have come in through Kevin. Not really sure. Have to ask Billy next time I see him. Billy, how do we find you? Billy, where'd you come from?
0: Let's, uh, let's run through some questions that we got here. Adam wants to know how much of an advantage did you feel you had in being able to format your live program, already knowing the results of raw, in my opinion, having Nash's debut, start roughly during Raw's final commercial break was genius as nobody turned back. And I can't believe it was just a coincidence.
3: I mean, there were some advantages, but you know, we knew the we knew the we knew what the card was. I don't think we necessarily knew, or frankly, paid attention to the runtime of Monday Night Raw when it was taped. We may have known that. Likely, all we knew was the the um, card. So it's not like we could precisely time our show against the taped show of Raw because you never know when they're going to insert a <clears throat> a backstage promo or a vignette or some other thing. So it would be, I think it would have been, would have been almost impossible to try to time our show to their taped show. But we certainly did have the lineup and you could probably make some pretty good guesses as to what was going to go where and and format our show accordingly, which is I'm sure what we did. This match is a long freaking match. You know, we're having to do, you know, fan questions during the middle of it because there's nothing really going on. No criticism here. Just, just facts painful uh, as they may be. Dino should have been about, this should have been about a six minute match.
0: It shouldn't have been two segments. That's for sure.
3: No, six minutes would have covered it. And you could have left people wanting more, especially with these guys in the ring, because they were all willing to beat the shit out of each other. But none of them, you know, were marathon runners in 12 minutes. You know, and for them, they had to stay busy during the commercial break. You know, not as busy as during the match, but you can't completely die on a live show during a commercial break. So you still got to keep it going and stay engaged. It's just too long. And given the style of the match, there's nothing they're going to do that you haven't probably already seen three or four times in the previous five or six minutes.
0: I want to mention too, they get all this time. Meanwhile, Kidman in his debut loses to Regal in a minute. So two very different approaches.
3: Well, the two different things though, nobody knew for sure how anybody is going to perform their first time out on live TV would it have been better to say, okay, we're not really sure how he's going to react. So let's just take a chance and give him seven minutes and see what he does.
0: Jushin thunder Lager, or I guess he means logger, which is kind of fun. Uh, when you wore a leather waistcoat on TV, was there anybody at Turner on hand to ask if you were sure?
3: I'm sorry. What was that? Did, did, what was that? He's making again?
0: fun of uh, your attire here that you're wearing a leather waistcoat on TV. It's a leather
3: vest over a denim, over a denim shirt. What the fuck, man? It was, it was the shit at the time.
0: Was there, um, quote unquote wardrobe for Turner who would say, "Mm, maybe we should wear this.
3: No, no, there probably should have been right. Um, but there wasn't, my taste in clothing has never been great. By the way, I've always been a walking, talking fashion faux pas.
0: (laughs) Michael wants to know, did anyone give Kevin Nash shit for not knowing the difference between a verb and an adjective? And also, do you think Meltzer knew the difference?
3: Like I can assure you that Meltzer, nobody butchers the English language more on a regular basis and makes money doing it than Dave Meltzer. The man has never met a sentence he couldn't fuck up in writing. So clearly Meltzer doesn't know. Um, I'm sure people have, and I'm sure it has left some kind of scar tissue that Kevin Nash will never admit to, but this is a guy who kind of prides himself on his ability to, to speak yeah, and his, his elocution, if you will, baby.
2: So I'm sure that
3: when he, when he was, when it was pointed out, did he completely fuck that up? I'm sure deep, deep. Deep down inside, in little dark holes that Kevin Nash doesn't even want to acknowledge that he has, probably pissed him off. Now he won't admit it. He'll say, Oh, fuck that. Fuck that. Nobody cares. But deep down inside, he's a very proudful man. How could you not be embarrassed?
0: Uh, Trevor wants to know with hindsight being 2020, would you change anything in regards to how Kevin debuted on nitro?
3: Fuck no. Why would I do that? For God's sake, why would anyone do that? It's like saying, man, you guys over at NASA. You took that big chance. You put a man on the moon, something that nobody thought possible. Is there anything you would change Why you did that? No, no, it was perfect.
0: Uh, Here's one from, uh, from Lopez. Where did the inspiration of the announcers booth off to the side of the stage and not at ringside for nitro come from? And the, did this fall under the different than formula?
3: Well, I, I guess it probably did by default because it was different, but the real motivation was to make, the venue feel bigger. You know, oftentimes we were in very small venues, um, especially leading up to this time. And and even subsequent to 96, we were, there were times we were playing in very small venues. And when, in my opinion, different people have different tastes on this, but in my opinion, when your announce booth and your announcers are right there at ringside, it just feels cramped and it feels smaller. And I like the idea of the, announced booth being set apart from the action of the ring so that you can transition back and forth with camera moves. And even if it's only a matter of 50 feet or a hundred feet, if you make that camera move correctly and with the right lens and, and, and all that, you can make it feel like a big sweeping move, which gives the audience the impression that the venue is bigger than it really is. And that was always a goal. You know, that was one of the first things that I did and I was kind of aggressive about is changing lenses on cameras so that you had a a wider field of view, which in a way distorts the image. Think of it as a fisheye lens on a camera. In a way, it kind of distorts the image a little bit, but the benefit is everything feels bigger. So you can make a 5,000 seat arena feel like a 15,000 seat arena. So we played a lot with that, but that was, and again, that was almost in the same conversation that we had back then about moving the announce booth away from the ring so that we can make everything feel bigger.
0: I wish we had a manscape commercial right now. Cause we could definitely, I know
3: I was just thinking the same thing. There's yeah. gotta be some kind of a sick fucking joke to throw in the middle of all that, but. It just wasn't coming to me fast enough. <laughs> no pun intended.
0: Dino says, in response to Nash's challenge, Eric says, about 9 a.m. tomorrow, I'll be in Atlanta in the offices of WCW. That sounds legitimate. Was that part of the building the reality aspect of this storyline? Of course.
3: Of course. Can we drop in on this? Steve Mongo, Michael.
5: with Grove for the
1: ultimate game plan by two of the NFL's all time greats. Then the answer to their problems were right under their nose. A manager would be great. A coach. What are are you
4: thinking what I'm thinking? The macho. Yeah. Slip. Oh yeah.
1: In the other camp, Rick Flair and Arn Anderson also got a big lift from an all-time great manager and
5: former John Madden
8: all-star coach. Now, in
4: 1988
5: I won the All-Madden Trophy. Well, I said I'd never manage again, but in Baltimore, I will coach. Well, ah, I will be at ringside. You have got to be putting it oh, on. Now I will be at ringside, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to show those football players what coaching is all about. You think you've been out-coached? Ah, you don't know what out-coaching means. Later, Randy
7: Macho
1: Van At placed a phone call on the air.
5: And of Kevin Green. And Mongo McMichael need a nut that knows the game, and I will be the head cast you, brother. Work hard, play hard,
6: and we'll tear up the four horsemen. He did. Did you hear that? That's for the macho man. Understand that the deal was sealed. From Macho Baby, You think that you think
5: that I would be? here? Yeah. What's well, right. What are you about to? I want to get him! Story is happening. Story got me inside of a building because I've been in a lockout type situation. You listen to me, okay? This is not football. This is not You got to learn the role. can't be too intense. And you can't be too crazy. Oh, I love you. I you understand that? Yeah. what uh, uh, he doesn't uh, want. He doesn't want power and strength coming his way. You guys you
3: Conrad, just and again, if people are not watching this along with us, I really, I guess because of the love I have for everybody we just saw in the ring, man, to see Randy and McMichael and Kevin Green in there, when Randy says, you cannot be too intense. Saying that to Kevin Green and Steve Mongo McMichael is irony in and of itself. Those are two of the most intense individuals I ever had the honor and pleasure to work with and meet. But uh, I don't know, just, I love seeing that. It's just made me feel really good. I hope people go back and watch this by the way, Lex Luger walking out now. I, without a doubt, Lex Luger looks better now than I think he ever did in his career. He's at the top of his game.
0: And he's a tag champ with uh sting. So how about that? How cool for them? You know, they had a, a business
3: together, the main event fitness center in Atlanta. I don't even know if it's still around. Maybe somebody else, maybe. Own it. I'm not sure, but it was a really, it was a state of the art fitness center before state of the art fitness centers became a thing. Uh, so they got to work together. They traveled together. They were close friends, um, business together. Pretty awesome period of time for both of them. I'm sure.
0: And here comes the hey, name. Hey, hey, where's that robe? Who owns that robe? Uh, it was, uh, cut up and, uh, put in part of the, uh, WWE video game experience a few years ago they had a a um like a rick flair version so you could get an exclusive funko pop and you could get like a, a gimmick hall of fame ring since rick had two of them at the time and they also had a little card where you either got a piece of a purple robe or a pink robe where they cut those robes up into tiny little pieces and um and now thousands of game game owners Now own a piece of wrestling history, the Ric Flair robe, but the actual back that says nature boy on the back is, uh, framed behind me as you walk in my studio.
3: Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah. I bought the robe. So you've, so you've got the, what do they call it? A monogram or the, whatever it is, the Ric Flair's name and yeah. Where it says nature
0: boy on the back uh, of the robe. Uh, I actually brokered the deal with two K and sold them the purple robe and the pink robe so they could cut it up and, and give fans a a chance. The The purple robe was not made by Olivia Walker. It was made by WWE, uh, a lady named Terry did it. And it was, was one of his, his better ones in the WWF, but this one was more iconic, but you can even see it on Rick's right shoulder. There's like a giant stain, uh, that would become more and more prominent. And despite all of my efforts and WWE's efforts, we could not remove the stain. So when 2k came along and had the idea that, Hey, we want to give fans a piece of the robes, uh, WWE said, well, we know a guy who's got a bunch. You should give him a call. And we worked it out. And, uh, I was proud that I got to share that because as a wrestling fan, you know, it's almost like if you're a big, uh, Elvis fan, if you had one of Elvis's jumpsuits, that's a pretty cool deal. But unfortunately it's not like those robes are super affordable. I mean, I think I paid like 25 grand for it or something. Yeah. Uh, but what did you get for it? A lot more than that. Come on now. 60,000. I talk money 60, all the time. 60,000. You are amazing. So, but here's what I got though. I got the centerpiece where it says nature boy. It's, you know, cause here's the thing. Megan doesn't have or care about having a bunch of her dad's like career or whatever, but her favorite color is pink. So I said, Hey man, I know this is a weird request, but they're going to cut this thing up anyway. Can you cut out the words nature boy on back and then send it to me? And he's like, what are you going to do with it? I said, well, I want to have it framed and uh, give it to my wife and let her hang it in her office. So she's got a cool little thing. Cause here's the thing. If she took the robe to the office, where would she put it? It just looks, you know, how do you display a robe?
3: It's tough. And you can't wear it. You can't wear it while you're working. That's ridiculous.
0: That would be silly. So what are you going to do? So I thought, Hey, if I can get that framed and put like a black frame on it and a pink mat or something, it'll look cool. Well, the folks at 2k were so cool. They didn't just send me that they went ahead and framed it up museum glass and the whole deal and a nice mat and a beautiful frame. So shout out to those guys for, uh, for making that happen. And of course, as soon as it got here, Megan said, well, my office is being remodeled, so let's just hang it in the studio for now, but she's about to be in her new space and, uh, it's already been discussed. Hey, I'm taking that pink thing to the office. Okay, cool. Good for you. But That's at least,
3: really cool. At least for now, I no in that- the corner. You, you had an involvement in that robe, but I should have known. And I, I am not surprised by the way, you are the, you were the king of robes and wrestling memorabilia
0: belt specifically. So, Hey, uh, get at your boy. If you've got a no ring, use belt. Uh, hey, Hey, it's Conrad. I'm a cash buyer.
3: Got the money I could have made. Had I known the future? Had I had a crystal ball? I could really, I could have said, you know what? We're going to have a new world heavyweight championship belt made once a year. yeah And over the course of about five or six years, I could have collected new, the older, the previous versions and just, you know, threw them in the back of my truck and taken them home.
0: All the boys did. I don't know why you didn't. I just wasn't smart to it.
3: And I, I never knew there were, I never thought there'd be a market for it.
0: Well, most of these guys didn't, if we're honest, I mean, the, the, I've never bought a robe from Ric Flair. I know, you know, a lot of people online just assume, oh, well, Conrad bought his old world titles and belts from Ric Flair. No, uh, the robes that Rick has are, are replica robes that have been remade, but you know, somewhere along the years, they, uh, either wound up in private collector's hands because he sold one or an ex-wife sold one or a kid sold one, or he left one in a locker room or left one in an airplane or left one in a hotel. And so everybody's got a different story, but I think the story on the, uh, pink robe was supposedly one of the ex-wives sold it to a fella who then sold it to the guy I bought it from. And then I sold it to two K. But my thing was, it's not something that, you know, most fans, if you're, uh, a wrestling fan can afford to a, go write a check for a big Ric Flair robe or B have the access to it. Where would you even find it? Right. So I thought, man, if I could sort of share that fun experience and, and, and thousands of fans have a little piece of it that they could display in their office or, you know, their computer room or TV room or whatever, that would be fun. And I don't regret it. Now, some of the hardcore collectors still vilify me. I can't believe you let them cut up a Ric Flair up. I did it to share, you know, like even when we're doing these podcasts, uh, there's a lot of people, Eric, in this sort of subculture of wrestling collectibles. They, uh, they think you should quote unquote, kayfabe everything. Don't let anybody see your collection or what you have. I think that's silly. So, when we redesigned our studio in here for me and you to record podcasts, I thought, hey, I need to have like a cool backdrop. Let's show off all the belts and make them look as nice as we can. And I'm not hiding my collection, I'm showing it off and sharing it. And I do that at StarCast too. You know, every StarCast we did, I took almost all of my belts and fans could come not only see them, but pick them up, hold them, take a picture, the whole deal. You know, when WWE shows off their belts at Access, you're not allowed to touch them. You're not allowed to get a picture with them. They're behind glass as they should be, I guess. But, you know, I think this stuff should be something we all enjoy. So I try to share it as much as I can.
3: That's very cool. So I just got to ask you, and I don't mean to stomp all over this match and ignore it because it's a great match, but where does that, uh, where does that idea come from? That, you know, collectors should kayfabe their shit. What What's the reasoning behind that?
0: Well, uh, I, I think they worry that, oh, someone might rob me. Or, but I'm not worried about that. I've got a badass security system. You've seen, I got cameras all over my house. I live behind gates. I'm on a private street. No, one's going to rob me. Uh, n- number two, uh, I think a lot of people worry, oh, well, what if someone comes after me and tries to Sue and says that, you know, technically this should belong to the wrestling company, but I don't worry about that because literally I'm a good relationship with WWE. And anytime they need something. Ben just Ben Brown, the archivist sends me a text message and says, Hey, can we borrow so-and-so I say yes, no matter what it is. And then he sends me a FedEx label and I drop it in FedEx the next day and boom, they have it two days later. So I'm not worried about, you know, being sued or robbed or, or whatever. And I think a lot of fans assume, well, if fans know I have this stuff, then they'll treat me differently in negotiations, sort of the old thing of Well, Hey, if you're a contractor and you pull up to a house and it's a shack, you give them one price. But if it's a a mansion, you think, Oh, he can afford it. I'll charge him a little more. Well, I don't really play that game. You know, I know what things are worth and here's my offer. And if that's not cool, that's okay. And we'll move on. Uh, but I I just think the idea should be, let's share all of this. And I won't say any names, Eric, but you know, a lot of my wrestling friends circle and a lot of my friends who collect stuff, they have that sort of, I would never let anyone see my collection type attitude. Uh, and I just, I don't get that. I don't share that. I want to share, I want to share it with all of our listeners and everybody. Who's, you know, part of what we're doing.
3: Well, that's very cool. I get a kick out of looking at it behind you. And when I come over to your house, it's always fun. I know you've got dusty Rhodes boots up there and the chief wahoo McDaniel headdress that I fascinated with just dig it. So very cool. And I'm glad you do share it.
0: Two new things right above me, Vader's mask. And, uh, Vader's last pair of boots. And believe it or not, I'll adjust the camera up right there so you can see it right next to Wahoo. Those were, uh, donated by Vader's son. I, uh, I reached that out is to him really cool and said, Hey man, I know this sounds silly, but if your dad has any old stuff, I would love to, to buy it with the understanding that I'll send it back if you ever need it. But I'd really just like to share it with wrestling fans and them get a chance to see that stuff. And he's a big listener of our pods and says, we've always been. Super complimentary of his dad. And he really appreciates that. And he said, I won't sell them to you. I'll just give them to you. And I, wow, said, what? I said, what a
3: classy, what a classy dude.
0: And I said, well, listen, I don't, I don't want to own them. I just want to show them off. So you let me know when they're coming right back, but he dropped it in a FedEx and there it is Vader's last mask and boots. And you know, it's a nice little way for us to celebrate wrestling history. Cause I don't think a lot of other outlets do that i mean i know a and e's got a new show with wwe the the treasure show and and that's that's fun and hey stick around for father's day you might see some folks you know uh but i just think it's cool that we can share some of that stuff so even like jeff jarrett i'm like hey man bring me a pair of boots or an old guitar or something let me sit it back there not trying to you know steal your legacy but i want to highlight it and celebrate it and show it off every week does, did Jeff keep a lot of stuff? Uh, Jeff tells me he has everything, but it's all in a storage facility. I guess he's got like a, like a little warehouse set up, but he's, he thinks he's got like, he's told me before privately that he's a pack rat. He has his 1986 tax returns. So <laughs> he's, he's got all the old boots and outfits and hats and. Uh, Dude,
3: you should, you, you should, we should, you should make a, sh- you should go, go down there. Before you peek in there, before Jeff even peeks in there, get down there with Sylvan, a couple of guys, and a camera crew, yeah, and just start digging through it because I guarantee it'll be a blast. It'll be a hell of a show over at Every Shows.
0: We uh, we've got an idea like that. I know a guy that I've been chasing for years, and, and we have a friendly relationship, and it's continuing to evolve. But he has a legitimate treasure trove of stuff that nobody knows he has. And even he's not exactly sure what it is, uh, and uh, we have a, another conversation like that with a daughter of a a former famous wrestling personality uh, who has a whole warehouse full of stuff, a whole storage facility full of stuff. Big spine buster by Arn Anderson there on Sting. Anyway, I want to do like the old. Do you remember when Geraldo Rivera went into was trying to get into the vault? Oh yeah. Old, the, old, the old gangster vault, the Al Capone vault. And then of course it wound up being nothing, uh, but it was like a live special and it was so hyped up. And I was like, we should do that except we'll know, you know, it won't be live. So we'll know when we post it, there is a payoff. There's some cool stuff in there. So we'll continue to do that. But I think, you know, it might be fun if a bigger audience than what we got for adfreeshows.com could do that and maybe we could coordinate some of that with wwe the trouble then is i'm in a bidding war with wwe so i don't know that i necessarily want to create my own competition why would you be in a bidding war with wwe well i'm saying if i give these leads that i've got and i say hey guys this would be i no, don't
3: really. fucking do that they wouldn't do it for you come on it's just business don't do that you've got enough uh, connective tissue over at vice tv hell even i could jump in and give you a hand i've got enough TV connections left in my rolodex. <laughs>
10: That's what, you
3: don't need to. You don't need to be in business with them. They're not going to do anything for you in that regard, other than take the majority of the uh, the revenue from it. So, come on, man, be independent. Do your own show. We can do it. I love you. You can do it. You yes, don't even need that. me. You can do it. Talk to Evan. Have a special on Vice TV. <laughs>
0: Man, how about this, uh, this match here? It looks like Anna I'm Martin. trying to
3: talk to you on this producing the show. You get into a match from 1996. Okay. It's a great match. I give you that. It's a great match. It's a classic match. Lex Luger sing on one side, Ric Flair and Aaron Anderson. On the other Wee Anderson goes down for the three count. No, only two. And Ric Flair makes it. Ta- oh no, he's not making a tag. He's turning into a right-hand punch from Lex Luther. That's the right corner to make a tag in. Arn Anderson And now. Boom to the back of the knee. Pretty light kick to the back of the knee there, Arn. Oh, let's make up for it. Drop an elbow on the inside of the thigh and work over the leg. You are trying to make up for a little bit of the lack of action that we called.
0: <laughs> Give everybody your time code, Eric. Let them know where you are. Oh, I'm probably a little
3: ahead of you. I'm uh 122.05.
0: How about that little kid turning into sting there? Garrett's all over the show, buddy. Yeah. He's had a couple of weeks in a row now. He's over There's like Rover, agree. by the way, this match, uh, is a good match, uh, 17 minutes and 37 seconds. Uh, so we've got two long matches here. Uh, don't forget you, uh, <laughs> you saw earlier in the show, uh, flare and Anderson attack the renegade. And Joe Gomez, that's who the original partners were supposed to be to take on, uh, flair and Arn. but because they uh, were laid waste backstage by the horseman, now it's sting and Luger. And you had to apologize for not delivering on the debut of Joe Gomez. Uh, Joe Gomez, by the way, is a character and a half great friend of the show. When was the last time you saw or hung out with Joe?
3: About a month ago. I was down in Tampa along with our near and dear, our own gimmick attorney, Mike Dawkins, and speaking to the local Tampa business community I was on a panel uh, with Tyrus, by the way, from WWE, who's also there. Tyrus. Um, Joe Gomez was a part of it. There were several people there. So uh, yeah, got to hang out with Joe. It was the first time I'd seen Joe in a long time. He's a very, very cool dude. And I know that Joe went with Ric Flair up to see Steve Mongo McMichael here a couple of weeks ago, and uh, and spent some time with with Mongo. So very appreciative of that, and uh, nothing but respect and love for Joe Gomez. He's a good dude.
0: As you and I are recording this, just yesterday they had another event with the Chicago Bears, sort of rallying support around Mongo McMichael. If you'd like to uh, make a donation, you can find him on GoFundMe. I just look up team Mongo. Uh, he's battling ALS. He's in a fight for his life. He's uh, uh, still got a great attitude about things though. I had the good fortune of being able to FaceTime with him yesterday and chat with him a little bit, but yeah, Joe Gomez is in the middle of all that. He is one of the real life, best friends of the nature boy, Rick flair, and I guess has been for a long, long time, but he is a character and a half and his friends are, uh, all characters as well. I've got to let you meet, uh, Dino. Have you met Dino Joe's friend Dino yet?
3: No, I don't think so.
0: Yeah. I'll tell you all fair why you need to meet him, but he is, uh, one of the funnier dudes that you'll hang out with h- him, him. I can't
3: and- wait. I can't wait to hear about Dino.
0: Awesome. H- here comes, uh, the giant,
1: oh, the giant. He is here. He is out and he is taking it.
0: So that's going to be the end of the match. But as a reminder, the giant is here because Luger came down for his match. So we're clearly setting something up here with Luger and giant. I also want to mention, we did not see Hulk Hogan in, in the flesh here earlier, but we did see yet another, uh, video package. Oh, and look at the wooden chair and those wooden chairs. I don't think I want, I don't, I don't want to get hit with one of those.
3: No, you notice even when a guy like Scotty Siner picked up that wooden chair to swing it, it just didn't move quite as fast as those aluminum chairs did or those steel chairs do.
0: Now I know over the years you guys have had like gimmicked wooden chairs. That was, those were not, those were real deal. Heavy ass chairs.
2: Nope.
0: Anyway, what I was saying is, uh, even though Hogan was not appearing here, we had a, another video package for him. This time, showing that he was a real American, of course. On the most recent watch along, we did. Uh, we weren't doing that. We were, in fact, uh, just showing all the different celebrities that Hogan has befriended over the years here in WCW. But this is about. Oh, look at there. The war is on. Let's track it. This is what we're here for.
8: All right, between the giants. All right, Luger did we get a word giant. I don't know what precipitated you even coming out here. Luger was involved in a match that didn't it concern you, Luger. YOU'RE A DEAD MAN! YOU WANNA BE IN BALTIMORE! YOU WANNA BE IN THE RING WITH A
5: GIANT! NO RULES, BABY! JUST THE WAY I LIKE IT! YOU BRING A CHAIR! YOU BRING WHATEVER YOU WANT TO! BUT I PROMISE YOU! I PROMISE YOU'RE GONNA GO OUT ON A STRETCHER!
8: Uh UH-OH! WE SHALL SEE! ERIC, BOBBY, LET'S GET BACK TO YOU, GENTLEMEN! WOW! i tell you
4: what, it happens when you count down to a major... let me tell you something. Let me tell the world something. Savage is out there
5: watching. If you think you're going to tear me apart, put your dirty, dirty hands around my body. At the Great American Bash, you, you, and this whole world is wrong. I don't have any beef with you. I didn't take money from Flair that was filtered through your ex-wife to give...
0: So he's having a conniption
4: I wear glasses I don't want to be touched or bothered Sounds to me Like Bobby Heaton You are backpedaling You are really backpedaling Wait a minute Wait a minute I don't want any trouble with you I don't want any trouble with you here, now, but I have to point out, you came out here last week, where is it, the big surprise, I mean I heard a lot of talk, but where's the walk, what, I'm here, where is it?
5: You've been sitting out here for six months, running your mouth. This is where the big boys play, huh? Look at the adjective, play. We ain't here to play. Now he said last week that he was going to bring somebody out here. I'm here. You still don't have your three people. And you know why? Because nobody wants to face us. This show's about as interesting as Mark Schott reading excerpts from Mein Kampf. No
4: trouble here tonight. Speak your peace and live
5: Yeah, no trouble because you know I'll kick your teeth down your throat. Where's your three guys? You what, you couldn't get a paleontologist to get a couple of these fossils cleared? You ain't got enough guys off a dialysis machine to get a team? Yeah, where's Hogan? Where's Hogan? Out doing another episode of Blunder in Paradise? Where's the macho man, huh? Doing some Slim Jim commercial? Hey, we're here. You want to say something?
4: Look, I don't have the authority right here, right now. You want to fight? Fight isn't with me. You want three guys? Tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock, I'm going to be in Atlanta. I'll be in the offices of WCW. I'll try and get you your fight. And you know what? Live this Sunday in Baltimore, Great American Bash. You guys want to show up? You want to fight? You show up. I'll see if I can get you your fight. I don't know about you, but hey, they love us in Baltimore. Hey,
5: hey Big Mang, I say me and you, we'd be at the bash. Maybe these punks want to fight. Yeah. I'll be there. Bring what you got. The measuring stick just changed around here, buddy. You're looking at it.
0: What do you think? That's very
3: cool. It's so cool. And here's what's for me. One of the coolest things is as this was playing out, the reason that you didn't see Hogan live is because Hogan was uh, off in California filming, doing a movie again, rewind a little bit context. Hogan's deal at this time was for either four or maybe five pay-per-views a year. Right. And then, for each pay per view, there were four TVs leading up to that pay per view. So he had, you know, a finite number of paper. Let's call it four for the discussion. May have been five, but four pay per views a year, and then four days of TV leading up to. So you got sixteen television appearances and four pay per views. Well, at this point in time, the way we had Hogan's appearances budgeted out for the remainder of the year, we knew he was going to be off. He knew he was going to be off, so he agreed to do a movie during one of these, I think it was a 30-day or 60-day stretch of time where he wasn't going to be performing because of the way his contract was structured. So he was off doing this movie. The movie was called Santa with Muscles. I know I've told the story before, so I won't go into great detail here again. But at this point in time, the third man was going to be Sting. Sting and I had had lengthy conversations by this point. We're, we're seeing this in 1996 and the intention and that it, when this all went down that we just watched in real time, uh, Sting was going to be the third guy. It was subsequent to this very episode shortly after that Hulk gave me a call and said, Hey, you know, I can't leave the set. Is there any way you can get out to California? So I want to talk to you. Sure. Hulk, And I did the rest is history, but the, other interesting thing is, it was about eight months or so, give or take, prior to this, that I had gone to Hulk's house, and I'm a pretty good salesman when I want to be and need yeah, to be. Yes, you are. And I had it all figured out, man, I was going to convince Hulk Hogan to turn heel, and I, I was really confident. You know, By that time, I had enough of a relationship with, with Hulk that I could talk to him <clears throat> a little differently uh, on a personal level. So I, I thought, okay, this is going to be the big deal. Eight months previous to this. And basically he very nicely, but threw me out of the house. <laughs> That's how that went. And now here we are eight months or so later, Hulk's sitting in California and Jimmy Hart's sending him tapes to the show, right? Cause he couldn't get TV where he was at. He was way up in the mountains doing this movie. Uh, really in a very isolated location. So Jimmy Hart was sending him videotapes. So Jimmy sent him a videotape of this show, FedEx it to him, got it to him. And a couple of days later, I get the phone call. Hey, brother, can you come out to California? (laughs) It's just so funny when you put all those little kind of behind the scenes pieces together in the timeline in which they occurred. It makes this stuff even more fun to watch.
0: Well, we hope this was fun to watch for you. This is uh, fascinating to sort of go back and break down the week by week. And, uh, we're going to keep that sort of methodology going. Uh, we are going to return to a watch along format in three weeks. We're going to watch the July 1st, 1996 episode. And that's where the outsiders effectively take over the show the following week. Of course, we're going to look at bash at the beach, 1996. Uh, we'll also, uh, talk about. Uh, a couple of weeks after that, the night after Hogan turns heel, uh, that very next nitro. So we're going to give you some context to that, but we're also going to do something very special along the way. I don't want to spoil it just yet. Uh, because, uh, as they say in the South, the hay isn't in the barn, uh, but we hope by this point tomorrow it will be. Uh, so tune in to our Twitter at 83 weeks. And in the next 24 hours or so, we should have a pretty big announcement that I'm pretty excited about, Eric. It's a uh, I, listen. I don't want to oversell it, so maybe we won't say it's a big surprise. It's a medium surprise. How about that?
3: <laughs> very good, Conrad. Very very good.
0: Uh, until next week, he is at E Bischoff. I am at Hey Hey. It's Conrad, and we are 83 weeks, and we'll see you next week right here with a very special episode of 83 Weeks with Eric Bischoff. All right, real quick, before we get out of here, I got to say it one last time. I want to save you money. Stop what you're doing and rush over to save with Conrad.com. This is going to be the best summer ever. Just ask Miguel in Plainsville, Ohio. He left us a five-star review at Conradreviews.com. And it said this big, thank you to Conrad and his team. I enjoyed my experience working with first family mortgage. Jimmy was there. Anytime I had any questions, he was just a text message away. Saving money and refinancing my home couldn't have been any easier. Miguel's saving a whole bunch of cash, and you can too right now. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket, and if we can't save you some cash, we won't waste your time. But I do want to mention, this isn't just for refinancing. Maybe you've outgrown your current home, or you're tired of throwing your money away on rent. First Family Mortgage can help you get into your next house fast and easy at SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender, And oh yeah, no house payments for two months. Come on, let's make this the best summer ever with a little summer vacation from house payments. Let's save with Conrad.com.
5: NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender.
0: Woo! Love talking about my friend Steven Singer. You know the competition really hates him. He makes the experience of buying a diamond better and better, and he makes it fun. Steven is the very first to offer each and every guest, the perfect price. That's right. Have you ever wondered if you're getting the best price, are you uncomfortable negotiating head to Steven singer jewelers and you're guaranteed to get the perfect price. You'll never pay more than the person next to you. Here's a little insider tip. Most jewelers mark their merchandise way up just to mark it down, to make you feel like you're getting a deal. The person next to you may be paying less. Do you want an important purchase like diamond jewelry to be based on your negotiating skills? Not the case at Steven Singer because at Steven Singer Jewelers, you're guaranteed to get the perfect price all day, every day, 365 days a year. That's why we trust Steven Singer. He makes the experience of buying a diamond so easy. Check out Steven Singer Jewelers at the other corner of 8th and Walnut in Philly or online at IHateStevenSinger.com. Steven Singer jewelers, one place, one price. That's I
10: John brings his skewed sense of humor Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round Together, it's those weekend golf guys They'll pay a lot of money to
7: PXG and Tylus and Callaway and 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 How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra effort? I think
10: I can get an extra 5 to 10 What if I give you 15 to 20? can you pay me more Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale <laughs> Those weekend golf guys, the podcast Part of the Believe Network Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen